Hello and welcome to the B&B Show. My name is Brandon and this guy right here, that's Brandon Seahawks. Brandon Nelson back in the house here at the Hawks Nest. Thank you for Brandon jumping on in here on a Tuesday after a tough game. It's not always easy to do these breakdowns after that, but I appreciate you jumping on in. How's uh, how's the mindset? How's the, uh, the, the fandom head, so to speak, as it operates now? Start this week. I mean, we knew a few of these were going to come. We know they're going to come, right? Uh, like you're you're not going undefeated, and you're 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 going to lose some games. So it, it it's going to happen. That doesn't make it any more fun to deal with, but they they happen. I'm very interested. I we talked a little bit before this, but I'm very interested to get you know your elaborate thoughts on this a little bit because this is a game that has felt to me like the Hawk fans have been some Hawk fans have hit with a kind of a hard stretch on this, coming to certain conclusions about this team or players on this team. Um, or about what this team can accomplish this season. And uh, I'd like to know if, you know, you are in a similar stage coming out of this as a loss in that way. Is that it, does it tell you grand tales about the team? Does it f- give you a finality about things? Or is it a, a a loss is more a bump in the road as part of maybe a, a progression? Or I don't want to speak for you, whatever you may think it to be. Well, I think that there are many different angles you can look at this game from. I think there are a lot of different ways you can take a game like this. And for me personally, I'm pretty conflicted on this one because on the one hand, I was thinking about this a little after the game was over and I was thinking to myself, if we had lost this game the way we thought we were going to lose this game, because I had 30 to 27 Bengals, you had something very similar to that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was 27, 24 or something, but same along the same lines. Yeah. Yeah. If we had lost the game that way, which both of us kind of expected to happen. I think that the mood would have been more like, oh, well, that that's uh, that's the team that uh, we know we have. It's a team that's uh, uh, good on offense. They can score a lot, but the defense, it's just not there yet. And you put it all together. It's like this is uh, the team that we thought we were going to have in the offseason, right? And that team is going to be good, but greatness eludes them because the defense isn't good enough. And you're coming out of that game feeling something very different, I think. You're actually – in a way, it's much better to lose a game like this if you're going to lose because now you can say, wait a minute, is this defense really starting to figure it out? It's possible, right? That yeah. was the best game this defense has played in quite some time, I think, because I do take that Bengals offense seriously. I got a lot of comments from people saying, oh, the Bengals offense is terrible this year, but I think we all know why that's the case. I don't read into that. I I'm throwing that first month out personally, and I think that anybody who understands how football works should understand why that's the case. But um, I I do think that it's much better to look at it through that lens because you're saying, okay, we know the offense can be good because we've seen them be good this year. We've seen them be good last year. We see the talent. This offense has too many good players to not be good at some point. Yeah, And now we're starting to see this defense come to life. Like the last two games, they've been lights out. As good as you can play, I think, pretty much. I, I think they have uh, as well, Brendan. And I uh, I echo your thoughts. Uh, there seems to be an online thought process that this is uh, a homer thinking, but it's actually housed in the fact, just as you eloquently put it. No, the defense is now in a, a surprising fashion coming together and looking like it has an upside that we didn't foresee coming into this season. And we know the offense can be good. And I think we have some feasible explanations for why the offense maybe wasn't performing at its best against that Bengal team on the road. But since you do bring it up here with the defense, and I, since I know that we're, we're looking for some, some good silver linings here, so we're going to have to talk about some difficult things today overall. 
let's talk about this defense and how they played and how they got this done. I I was so very impressed. I said in my post game, and I kind of still feel this a couple of days later, even though statistically it's not in the same realm of the Giants game. You didn't hold them down to the same amount of points. You didn't get the same, same amount of pressures. But it did feel to me like almost a more impressive a performance because I guess I look at it like you do too, being that you came into this game with the Bengal team rounding into shape offensively. They're not in the same shape they were three weeks ago as far as how that offense function. And so you could you got to look at them more through how they've been in recent history, more than how you could look at them in the start of the year. And I was uh, I, I was really impressed by how we defensively what we five straight stops to finish this game off. I believe is how it all all went. Um, what what's caused this turnaround, Brendan? How has this team pulled this off? I think it's simply a matter of getting your secondary out on the field at the same time. This was the first time we've seen Witherspoon and Woolen and Adams and Diggs. And I'm going to start putting Trey Brown in there, I guess, because he's actually having a phenomenal season so far. I think you got to start to at least consider elevating him to that part of the conversation. Indeed. And uh, maybe you throw Julian Love in there, although he actually didn't play that much in this game because everybody else went the whole game. So there wasn't a lot for him to pick up. But I think getting all those guys out there, there's just way too much talent for them not to play like this. And you pair that with a pass rush that is good. I like our edge room. I don't know if our defensive line is going to hold up the whole year, but right now it's a very good defensive line. The players are just too good. And I think you are starting to see some adjustment on the part of Pete Carroll and Clint Hurd, who called a, you got to say, really good game on Sunday as well. Um, There's starting to be some understanding of how to utilize this talent. And I think it's pretty elementary. They're, They're too good to be anything other than this. They're too talented. They really are. We can't forget how much they put into this defense and that it hasn't gotten the returns up until this point, but that doesn't mean that the talent isn't within it or that they haven't stacked as much as they can to try to build it into potential strength here into the long term, if not the short term, Brendan. I I just thought, like you say, everybody's kind of cohesively going together too. You're seeing not only the return of the secondary talent back into bloom, but you're seeing how the front's working together and stopping the run. And then that that's maintained throughout the course of the season. But now we're getting the pass rush over the course of the recent weeks, starting to get maybe more of an uptick, starting to feel maybe a little bit more of the presence of BT Jordan as that specialist coming in here and getting a little bit more of the returns back from him. It all feels like it's coming together a little bit with that. We'll see if it does maintain. It is just a kind of a two sample, two game sample size situation, but I do think that it's uh, very encouraging as we go long-term down this season because if this defense can find a higher top end, I'm going to trust as we eventually do talk into the offense that they're going to you know, find their footing there and they're going to uh, – when certain things, if things settle out, again, another conversation for a little later on the show. But um, everybody's playing solidly on that defense. Jamal Adams was also mm-hmm. really good, I thought, in this game. Feel a little bit more of his presence. I mean, he's not, we're not looking at him and saying, oh my God, he's uh, after this ligament injury, he's a shell of himself out there. I mean, he's, it's a small, again, small sample size, but the early returns with him out there on the football field has been uh, fairly impactful. I'm not saying he's directly the guy doing Witherspoon doing what he's doing and all the other guys. It's a team effort here getting this done, but um, I certainly think he's helped. He certainly has helped, as you know. He he looked great. I thought he looked great flying around, making tackles. He looked completely normal. He looked like the Adams of a couple years ago. So, I'm not seeing any issues there right now, and obviously he's going to have to prove it in games coming forward, but you're not going to play a receiver core better than that Bengals receiver core. You're not even close. Probably the closest you're going to get is the receivers you line up against in practice, right? 
That's true. Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, this is definitely going to be the best that we're going to face this year, maybe absent Eagles with the, the Vontae Smith and Brown that they can throw at you, and we'll see where the health is of the Niners team. But this one is one that is as tough as any. And you mentioned Trey Brown. I'll tell you, the, the play that I loved, I think even above the interception in this game, Brendan, was him going down the sideline, and that's the matchup you wonder about with him. Because you go, okay, he's twitchy. He can move fast. He's got a good feel for how to play the position. But when it comes down to the bottom line that you'd worry about with a smaller cornerback and you're 5'9", and you're going up against a receiver 6'2", 6'3", Tig Higgins, and you got a guy in Burrow who can accurately throw a trust ball up there, not just throw a blind one up there where it's kind of off a little bit, but put it right where he wants to put that. And Brown able to get that paw up in there and rip that thing away like he did on a on, right when you need that play as a third down conversion. Game's over if you allow that. And not physical, not handsy there, step for step with a guy, and then makes the play on the ball on top of it. I think what he's doing is legitimate here. And I've been thinking for a while, we've talked about it, is his upside. What is his upside? People have asked us often in the chat, and I've often said, I think it's DJ Reed. As DJ Reed rounded in the player he became to get that free agent deal with the New York Jets. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, it's easy to forget because last year he played like 11 snaps, but he was playing well in 2021. So I guess you could say he's kind of back on schedule. I guess you could kind of put it that way. It's my opinion, but I think that it's been very clear as far as rookie cornerbacks that have come through and played in Seattle and played early on in the performance level over a 12-year stretch with under Coach Carroll. And tell me if you disagree with this. I think at the top, Tariq Wollin gave you a gold standard for play for a rookie cornerback and what he did last year. I think Richard Sherman would be number two. I'd have Trey Brown is the third most impressive rookie performance to go back to that time you're talking about of any other corners that have come through here and played as rookies like Shaquille Griffin than down, down through the ladder. So he's was impressive in that rookie year, major injury, now had time to fully get back from it, and now he's running fully, seemingly uh, at full speed. couple of interceptions on the year already, but uh, also looking good in coverage in addition to it. So um, his development now gives them so much flexibility, Brendan, too, with this on the future stuff and who you play in the slot and how you move guys around and how unpredictable you can be with your formation packages because you're not just feeling compelled to have to stick Witherspoon out there on the outside, right? Yeah, yeah, it seems like um I, I I mean, we've talked before about Trey Brown playing in the nickel, but we haven't done it yet and I don't think he did that in college, so yeah. it's a hypothetical. So I don't really want to mess with it right now. I'm not feeling yeah. the need to say, "Hey, we got to throw this guy in slot because he looks like a slot corner." Yeah. If he's pulling a 90 grade down to get or 80 grade down a game on the other side, he's forcing quarterbacks to eventually be testing over on Woolen's side. And uh, Woolen didn't have maybe his best game out here in this one, but I still trust in Woolen's abilities. And the whole point of the Witherspoon pick was eventually get this into a situation where we're not having a thing like Richard Sherman, where you got a great cornerback on one side of the field, but the quarterbacks end up throwing it everywhere else and just avoiding that side. And you don't maximize uh, a playmaker on the outside like you had in, Sh in Sherman at that time. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to really look like we might have that thing that we that I know Carroll's wanted for a very long time. That he's even when we had Sherman and Brown or and Lane, I don't think we really had it. Just, just no. what are quarterbacks going to do? And this, um, I, I did a video about this uh, yesterday morning. That was one of the most inefficient games of Joe Burrow's career. Mm -hmm. Even if you include the inefficient games that he had in, uh, like his rookie year. And earlier this year when he was playing with his bad, what was it, bad calf, bad ankle, whatever it was. Calf, yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that was one of the most inefficient games of Joe Burrow's career. And he had all three of his receivers. Like, this was not a game. T. Higgins was not out. Hmm. 
So, like, like, there is something special brewing here. I can completely get behind that. I can completely um, see that angle of it, and it should. If you're a Seahawks fan, you should look at that and get excited because I think deep down, although some people may not be willing to admit it until they actually see it in action, we know this offense can be good. We know yeah. that what this offense is capable of. Yeah. But until this week, until the game on Sunday, I don't think we had any real reason to believe the defense could be anything better than like barely average. But That's now fine. we're starting to get a sense that all these investments might finally be paying off. I And I guess you just put to why I come out of this game so more into a, a camp of being encouraged rather than discouraged. So much more encouraged for the future than looking away. Because the thing that you and I railed on in that opening week with the Rams, a loss that you and I felt much worse about, uh, was the fact that you weren't seeing changes in the defense and that you were seeing the same old kind of soft coverages. Something I saw today too that was notable, or not today, a couple of days ago, that I thought stood out to me too, Brendan, was the tight coverages. The coming up and playing stuff tight, not just sitting back into depth and and hoping that you know you're just going to get Burrow to make a mistake, but taking away those short routes, and doing it in a, a way that was aggressive. I thought and and doing it where Brendan they didn't just simply try to blitz. I didn't think blitzing him a lot was the smart way to go with Burrow because he's going to get you that way. They avoided that, but they found a way to still be aggressive and kind of clamp things down, didn't they? Without actually having to necessarily risk a lot in the blitz game to do so with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of blitzing. We're still sending the inside linebackers a pretty decent amount, it feels like. But um, I think that's probably the right thing to do as well, because both Wagner and Brooks have shown they are good blitzers. And yeah. you got to blitz, blitz some of the time. You can't just send three or send four every single play. So I, I, I feel like we've maybe happened onto something here. I feel like we've maybe found something that can work. And it it's... It, it would be very weird if the team would look at a result like this game. And I would throw in the Giants game as well. I know the Giants are running a remedial offense right now, but it's still an NFL team. It'd be very weird if they looked at the results the last two weeks and went, ah, let's go back to the old stuff, right? Let, let, yeah. Let's just go back to the uh, stuff that got us killed against the Rams and Lions and da 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 da. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. I wouldn't either. I think they would be like, okay, we're kind of on to something with this. Let's stay. Stay with this approach. Um, I'm a little bit late on a couple of donos here. Let me catch up a few. Uh, Phoebe Moore Seahawks, thank you for the $2 donation. It says, uh, you both have different takes on the Metcalf flag. Oh, goodness. Okay. Got a little disagreement here. What's, uh, what is the take with you on that one, Brendan? Um, I, I, I'm actually kind of surprised here. I don't know if we do. My take on the Metcalf flag was, yeah, it's, it's stupid, but... I don't trip about that stuff. I, I, I mean, we already talked about the Metcalf stuff. Obviously, it looks bad on camera when you see it. It's like, oh, he was mad he didn't get the ball, so he took it out on Cam Taylor Britt. Like, that's stupid. And I did call it out because I do think it is, you know, uh, something that he needs to rein in. But I'm not going to sit here and act like that cost us this game or this was why we lost. It's not. There is something very obnoxious about him being upset that he didn't get the ball. And then later in the game, he gets the ball and he's not even trying for the ball and it causes an interception like that dichotomy of like, you're, you're throwing a fit because you didn't get the ball. Well, here's the ball. Oh, you're not even going to go for the ball. And you blew the game because that game ended up, that play ended up being huge in this game. That's way worse than a 15 yard penalty because he got caught up in his feelings a little bit. So I think it's probably a little, 
it, it needs to be aimed at the right place, but the penalty itself is like he and he needs to knock it off. But I don't feel the need to say much more than that about it. Yeah, I think that that's a very fair take. Um, I, I when it comes to the the not running out your route thing, like you say, especially when you have an earlier moment in the game where you're you're actively caught there on camera doing the doing the horrible body language move or diva receiver move. People that have an issue with that, I certainly would say is uh, valid and that that's that's not right. Like you, and then you go back and then you don't run through a post route, a route where you early had, a, if you watch the route, he had an early win on it. I mean, he's got inside yeah. leverage and he's got, it looks to Gino who's under an onslaught of pressure and doesn't exactly have a lot of time to sit there in the pocket and decide if he's really true or just to like let it rip. And then DK just comes to a stop in the middle of his route. That's kind of an unforgivable sin for a wide receiver. Now, when it comes to the to the flag, um, I am going to maintain, and it's a hill I'll die on a little bit with this because it's it's what's causing from this kind of flag is this is causing a lot of people to directly take from this flag. Okay, the flag issue. Okay, that's costing us games. Okay, we got to trade DK. I'm seeing a logical thought train going one to the other to the other to the other on this one, and it's disconcerting to me because um, number one, I think a lot of these flags are him being targeted. Um, let me let me read you a quote here, and uh, just just because I think that this is somebody that might have an opinion beyond even you might have a little bit, you know, I would actually like to see less violations called focus on the important ones and let some things go. I saw DK Metcalf got penalized for unnecessary roughness. I don't know if that's unnecessary or not, but all I know is that the defenders got every right to push back on DK, but he doesn't do it. So DK throws him to the ground. They throw a flag. I'm like, I don't understand what the flag is. This is football. This isn't touch football. This is real football. I think that the physicality, which people really enjoy, I certainly enjoyed, I don't think we should ever lose that. It's a really important uh, quote I read, got sent by one of my, my subscribers out there. And um, that's from Tom Brady. And so you have a guy that's not a Seahawks fan there, who's an offensive player, who's a goaded player in this league watching that same play that so many are starting to clutch their pearls on saying, uh, no, this is football. And I agree with Tom on this one. I'm going to side with the goat on this one in the respect of that, that defensive player wanted to not put his hands up and try and he paid the price for it. And that's how this sport works. You come out there ready to play. You come out there strapping your chin strap on and you let it rip. And I think the officials are targeting DK. I don't think that that's, and the play was still going on when he did it. I don't understand it. I, I think it's it's ridiculous because it's the defender's job to prepare themselves. The Witherspoon thing was the same way, you know, trotting around, not watching, not paying attention to anything, not acting like they're just they're acting like they're on a, a, a park stroll. You're on a football field, live action, till the whistle blows. Um, I so I yeah, I I'm in the definitely and strictly in the camp of that one where I, I really am not this bothered by this. It's another one, like you say, where it didn't cost us the game, didn't re directly result to it. Much like the Witherspoon hit earlier this year, didn't directly result in us having, um, in us losing the game because of that situation. It's not a good thing. I'd love to see this stuff get corrected. It's hard when the officials start targeting you because you got to want to, he, he's got to block, you know? I mean, eventually does he get to the point of now softly trying to block guys because he's worried that there's going to be this thing? Like, do we want to take that out of the his game and his play? And I don't really want to, but you know, it is kind of what it is with it. I just, I, it's disconcerting me on it, Brendan, just hearing people go from taking that flag or the flags he's had. And that's a reason we should now go trade TK. And you go, wait, what? Huh? Yeah. I, I think there is this overwhelming urge in people to say, I don't like this thing. I want to get rid of it. Not, I want to fix it. Not, I want to work with it. Not, I want to find 
some way to make my peace with the fact that it's a thing that exists. Yeah. Um. I. I and that's that's a mistake. That's how you end up with a with a getting rid of more than half your players every single year, never having any congruity between your roster, and you uh, you never win anything. Like, mm-hmm. like um, there are countless examples of teams and players making it work for a period of time, even when things aren't necessarily perfect because they have this unified goal of wanting to win. And sometimes it doesn't last forever, but I don't, I I don't understand the obsession with like, Oh, I don't like this thing about this player. I don't want him here anymore. Instead of saying, I want this to get fixed. I want this to get better. Um, because you know, any DK Metcalf trade is not going to give you back good value because you're going to be paying him so much money. The only way to get equal value would be to get like two first round picks. Nobody's going to do that. So you're it's not going to be a good trade. And you're probably going to end up drafting a player who, if you're lucky, is 40% as good as DK Metcalf. So, you know, that's not a good solution either. So, yeah, I'm... I'm not down with that. I, I was annoyed with DK after this game for sure. And I, I think that everybody has a right to be. But sure. I think it's very – and we're going to talk more about this later in the show, I'm sure. It is possible to be critical of a player without hating that player. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, and I think as the criticism with it that we he's got to find a way to fight this flag thing is not a – bad criticism delay it's just when we start driving that to now this is why we got to trade him is the part where i go and there's people making this jump people may be out there going well who's making that jump trust me i do i do six hour live streams every sunday i do most shows a week people are making that jump with dk i saw it on the flag from witherspoon and plenty of takes out there that we're saying that i'm reading them online and it's uh it's disconcerting because it's like this talk gets so loud it eventually could lead to okay, well, we guess the fan base is in a place of not really, you know, it's like really we should be valuing the guy because there is a lot he does bring to the table for these uh, little impediments that are in there that don't actually cost us football games and it'd be shame to let go of him for something that just kind of gets on people's nerves a little bit. But you do have a right to definitely people are in the right stance to say, okay, I'm annoyed with this. It has been a lot. But as, as Tom Brady said, I think, you know, they're over legislating stuff and I think he's being a little bit picked on here just a bit, yeah. just, just a tiny bit. Uh, I, I will say... If that's happening, then it need it, something needs to be done about it, right? We can sit here and say, oh, it's not fair that they're picking on him. But if they're picking on him, then they're picking on him. There's nothing you can really do to stop that except Agreed. to clean it up. And that that's going to be what it takes. And we may not love him cleaning it up because it means he won't be as good of a blocker and he might not be as into the game as he otherwise would be, maybe even. But it is what it is. And if that's uh, what's going on, then... Yeah, he, he's got to he, he's got to clean it up if they're really targeting him, which it seems like they are. Yeah, I do think it's something he's going to have to be more aware of with it, and probably have to remove less of his ferocity from his blocking style because of it. I think it's a kind of fair way on where where to look at this because they are going to that's the way it works sometimes with this stuff. Uh, thank you though, feed me for that two dollar dono snail. Thank you for the five dollar donation. It says, is it a hot take to say Clint Hurt gets a head coaching job before Waldron if this defense follows typical? Seahawks defenses and continues to improve. Um, I feel like I feel like the league is pretty clued into the fact that uh, Pete Carroll's running this defense and Clint Hurt has a pretty reduced role in running it. So I don't think so. I would think not either. Uh, the other thing to think about this too is that offensive coaches are the 
du jour now of the moment. They're a lot easier oh, yeah. to get hired than defensive coaches, and nothing this year in the data will tell any of these teams looking for future head coaches this season or in the next upcoming offseason that that shouldn't be more of a trend that they lean into. It's going to be harder as a defensive-minded coach to go out there and get that get that job. It just is going to be. Um, so I would still say Waldron has probably more uh, of a jump on this. I also, and we're going to talk about this snail when we do get to the offensive side of the ball, I, I do think Waldron's going to still be very successful this year as an offensive coordinator, and that's still going to keep his star pretty bright for an opportunity potentially it's out there. Not that he's going to be one, two, three option in the league as far as candidates go, like the Dan Quinn from last year, but that he'll be looked at and considered, I think, this offseason. Once I believe, and this is going to be my bold take this this show, Brendan, is I think once the offensive line gets back to a bit better health here, I think the offense is going to find back its ignition switch. Could be wrong on that take, but that is my take on it. Yeah, I mean, again, like we just said about the defense, when healthy, this offense has too much talent to not be really good. It's just inconceivable. You're you, even if you don't like JSN, which I think that if you do, you're ignoring a lot of advanced statistics that indicate he is doing his job. But even if you don't, you've got two of the, uh, you've got one of the best uh, starting receiver duos in the league. You've got three quality tight ends, which very few teams have. You've got these running backs. Like, like there, there's too much going on here for it to not be good. What I the, the connection I can't quite see people aren't seeing made is that look at our defense now. As your defense gets to full health. And you get back what we might come to find to be the most important player to your defense being um, Jamal Adams uh, on top of Witherspoon getting fully up to speed, the combination of those two added into the mix of what you had. And now you're seeing a defense find a top end that we didn't even understand that it had. Yet we can't do that same math to the same to the offensive side of the ball, which is strange to me a little bit because you go look to the offensive side of the ball, Brendan, and this offensive line, let's make no two mistakes about it here. Let's get this part. And I know we're going to offense in a second, but let's just this part. This offense has been beat up to hell to start this year. This isn't a merely an injury here and an injury there. This is that even in this game, Brendan, if I'm not mistaken, you're free, free to correct me. Let's just take out the guys that are out of this game, which we're down three-fifths basically when we move Phil Haynes to left guard. Phil Haynes is working through an injury. Jay Curran was playing through an injury. Bradford went down in that Carolina Panthers game. I guarantee you that that ankle ain't 100% for him over there on the other side either. Across is just coming back with all of his rust. You know, a Brown I know has gotten up about four or five different times this year real slow. I know that, guys. He was out for a few times. With He's had a couple moments he's been out for Olawatimi to come in there for him. Now, yeah. every offensive line in the league's beat up. But when you have an offensive line, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, down this many starters, and it's beat up in addition to that with the backups in there, do we have an expectation that that offensive line is going to help that offense to flourish in any way, shape, or form? And do are, are any offense going to flourish outside of a Joe Burrow uh, offense uh, in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Big picture. What this team has managed to accomplish in these first five games with this offensive line is kind of amazing. Uh, putting up 37 points on the, well, okay. 31 points, let's say against the lions, putting up 37 points on the Panthers. Like that, those two games, those two results are kind of remarkable. Now there have been some bad games in there too, but again, like, you lose your two starting tackles in the middle of a game for any team out there. I don't know what any of those teams are going to do, but I don't think it's going to be anything good. It's not. Yeah. And I, I do think that what we've seen over the last two games is kind of like we we're we're pushing it a little too much. 
Like there's only so much we can get out of these backup offensive linemen before bad things start to happen. And I think that is kind of what we've been seeing over the last two games. But even within those two games, there's still been some pretty impressive stuff. Yeah. Um. So I, I, I don't want people to lose track of that. I've seen a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there who are looking at this in a very binary fashion. They just look at how many points the Seahawks offense scored in each game. And they're like, oh, we were bad in this game. We were good in this game. We were good in this game. We were bad in this game. We were bad in this game. And then that's just the end of the conversation. Yeah. I, I, there needs to be some understanding here that this is probably the most injured offensive line in the entire NFL through the first six weeks of the season. Agree. And they found ways around it to still be a top 10 offense. If I asked any Seahawks fan, not just you, Brennan, to your point on this, any Seahawks fan out there at the start of the year, and I said, okay, we're going to get through the first five games of the season. Be with me on this. Okay. We're going to be without our starting two tackles for minus the first two quarters of the first game. And then you'll get them back at the final fifth game there. You'll finally get one of them back. You're going to be down three fifths, four fifths, five fifths of your offensive linemen over the course of those runs of those opening games. What would you put the record at for the team? Where would you have had them in general? Just, just knowing that, I know there's more, that's absent a lot of other information, like how the defense is playing and other injuries across the board. But in general terms, if you were just to hear that on the face and the surface of it, where would you probably put the team at? I mean, honestly, that sounds like a recipe for 0-5 or 1-4. and 4. The offense was supposed to be the seat of our power. And if you're telling me, oh, you're not going to have that because the whole offensive line got hurt, I'm going to be thinking, like, I, I, I don't know how we win a game. We were depending on the offense for so much this year. That's my take on it too. I would I would say one win is the about as high as I'd say you're going to get out of there. Maybe get luck through on one win of it, but I don't think and you and I've been consistent on this. We talk a lot about this on prospects and quarterbacks and quarterback rookie quarterbacks going to certain spots and how they're going to look to perform. I've been on this for a couple of years as a trip Brandon, which is that your offensive line is going to dictate a lot of your success as a quarterback. And if it's really great, you can you can really fly. If it's good, you can still do pretty good, but if it's in shambles, if it's broken down, you as a quarterback are going to be affected by that. And maybe there's a couple rare quarterbacks in this sport that can get overcome that, but most can't. And the standard should not be with Geno Smith that he's got to overcome this with our expectation level. If it is in shambles, that he's got to be out there and in, in a superstar at that point. I think that that's unrealistic. And, you know, he didn't play good, didn't play good ball game last, last, uh, this last Sunday, Brendan. But I do think it's a little unrealistic of a standard to hold to expect him to do that. And you're right about it getting worse, especially as these guys who are the backups coming in there. This isn't a healthy Anthony Bradford, in a healthy Jay Curhan. These are guys who are fighting through their injuries. They're not, it's that, it's that thing that the coaches say, are you, what is it? Are you injured? Are you hurt? Right. They're, they're not hurt, but yeah, they're fighting through an injury and you're not going to perform at your best fighting through injury. Not to mention you are also a backup. Bradford's case, you got a lot of rawness. You can run block like a maven, but you're not going to pass protect all that well. So yeah, um, I I expected nothing but disaster when um, Bradford had to play this year, and so far it hasn't been. Like, no. like the worst thing he's done is commit two penalties against the Giants. Yeah, uh, agreed. I think he's been absolutely beyond what I thought he was going to be. You and I looked at him on the tape. It was raw, especially pass protection. LSU, I mean, Jaden Daniels was running for his life a lot of times last year because Bradford just got completely, he whiffed, whiffed on blocks in pass pro all the time throughout his tape. So this has gotten a little bit worse with time as the injuries have mounted as you've needed to call upon that depth more. But it's, I, I do have faith, Brendan, it's going to return once we get back turned into the other direction with some of these injuries. Lucas comes back especially. You give me a, a cross back in his flow, Lucas back in there alone. 
And I think we're going to see a substantial uh, uptick in the amount of production we get out of this offense. Kasara Salari, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, I hate how fast Seahawks fans panic. We will be okay. Yeah, it's, it, it's, I think that there's just, uh, this definitely one to me, Brendan, just caught certain fans to me just certain sideways. And you saw some people go real hard in that direction of just, I don't know if panic's the word, or maybe that's the best word to use, but it just felt like people were a little in, in up in arms out of this game in a way I, I, you or I don't seem to be able to quite understand fully. I, I was definitely way more the Rams game, uh, apop yeah. apoplectic. Yeah, I mean, I think what it is, and this is where I can kind of understand it, the NFL in the modern day, I think, is all about inconsistency. Teams are not consistent from week to week. Yeah. There's no element of football where mo very few teams manage to keep up a high level of play or sometimes a low level of play from week to week. So when you play that well on defense, you need to win that game because you don't know, like your defense might be good the rest of the year. But are they going to be that good ever again this year? I doubt it. I don't think this defense is going to play a better game than what they did against the Bengals because I'm going to keep saying it. That is a very good and very dangerous offense. And you went on the road and they basically did nothing after the scripted plays were done. Yeah. Like, like, you know, those first, what was it, 15, 20 plays now they script these days? Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I say scripted, people think something else. So uh, rehearsed <laughs> plays. <laughs> That's right. And if offenses usually have the first 15, 20 plays totally practiced out, but they're more refined than the back end, let's say 20 plays, which are a little bit more, let's, here's our playbook. We practiced this back in week, what, week three of training camp or something. So I can understand the, fr the anger and frustration with losing that game. Uh, because when you play that well on defense and you still lose, it's just like, oh, that is such a blown opportunity. And yeah. I felt that too. I felt that way too. I totally get that. But I think there is this push to try to ascribe some higher meaning to what happened in that game. Yeah. And I think that's the mistake. I think that's the error that people are making. Yeah, agreed. And well said. I, I don't have a lot to add on to that. I just, that's well said, man. I, I, this is a game just about, it's one game off. It ain't the tail of the season or the tail of any individual player for this year. Uh, thank you, though, Kazra, for that donation. I appreciate you. Garth Knight with a $5 donation. Thank you as well. Garth says, the guy, guys, the defense is getting better earlier than in years past. I hope they put Spoon Man in the slot because if you, because if a cat can hit you, you got to let him. I, I mean, when there's a slot to be put on the field, I think Spoon is the guy on this team to put there right now. Yeah, I like the thought process of doing it like somebody described Chris Harris back in the no-fly zone days with the Broncos winning a Super Bowl. That defense, of course, not Peyton Manning, but that defense, what got them that Super Bowl win. And they had Chris Harris aligned in the slot in, in when you got your three wide. And then when you went to a base look situation, you put him out there as your starting cornerback opposite one. And I like that look and set up with Spoon, spoon here. Um, I, I mean, There's a lot of flex you can do in this too, Brendan, because of course they like, they bring in Jamal down and putting him in the slot at times. And now sometimes you can maybe then just keep kicking Spoon out then outside of those rare snaps. Love's in the mix on this too. A uh, lot of different versatilities, versatile guys here on this, Brendan, that we can kind of move all over the place a little bit. But uh, I, I, that's really it with me, Garth. I mean, I, I, I was down on this game. I understand, like you say, Brendan, people just being like, man, that's brutal. We had that one in our hands. It was this close. 
but I'm so much more overridden by that, by the defensive performance and realizing that this defensive potential is within them. Maybe they're not going to replicate this same performance, but that it's at least this, this potential is in them. Whereas we didn't kind of know, especially coming off the Rams game and some of these other games with the 30 points to, to, to Goff, 30 points to, to Dalton. And you go, okay, is it, are we soft zone city and just more assets that are just being poured to nothing that we're still not getting in return? But instead now, like you said, our expectations have gone from our best case scenario is middle of the road to, I'm not saying they're going to get to an elite state, but now they've got a, to me, a more of an open door of getting up into a higher place of their performance this year. And that makes us that much more dangerous as a team. Right. Um, thank you though, Garth. Appreciate it. Uh, Connor Oswagler, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, I actually thought Woolen had an underrated game. He got beat a few times, but he was isolated 1v1 with Chase a lot of this game and held up well. Yeah, um, if there's anybody to single out on defense, it's probably in the negative. It's probably him, but after having a chance to look at that game in a little depth, uh, I, I don't think it was that bad. I think everything... When, when you really actually think it through and you look at it really closely, it's like, okay, the, the one touchdown, he was in cover three. The other touchdown, Burrow was in this pocket for like eight minutes, mm -hmm. or, well, running around in the back. Creating time. Eight minutes. Yeah. yeah. Make, making it hard in the secondary. Right. Yeah. So other, and then there was the one deep ball where, yeah, he gave it up, but Chase kind of got away with one of his uh, trademark pushoffs. Yeah. So... A big picture wise, it's really not that bad. And I think that some people are going to run with it a little more than it needs to be run with. It's not that big of a deal. That's another, I was, we were talking about the before we started the show. That was another one of the hot takes I was getting off the game from some of my chapter. Well, one well, really isn't that good. Last year was just an outlaw, you know, uh, smoke and mirrors kind of thing. You know, it's not really who he is. I'm like, no, I think he's really that good. And Connor, I think that's a fair take. I, he probably had a little bit of a tough start to the game. Wasn't horrible. But then I think he got better as the game went along. And Brendan, part of the sh the shortening of the routes and the and the tightening and the aggression the aggressiveness we talked about in defense that I saw from Woolen that I really liked in this game was when he was up there in press. And, and I know, hold on now, I will hold your breath on this one. They actually let him press. Oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, here we go. He got those big long arms right up into Chase's chest and just brought him to a standstill. Burrow and his, you know, Burrow's completely in that timing based anticipatory route that he likes to flow in. And he drops back looking for his man Chase to be in the flow of the route. And he's not. He's still just getting off the line of scrimmage. And I saw a few times of that with Woolen in this game. I, I, I it gets me jacked because again, we start to see where the coaching staff goes. Okay, Carol, from Carol's standpoint, okay, I haven't been doing this recently, but man, we're, we're doing this well with these guys. And this is kind of what their skill set leans into having them do. And, and we're getting success off of it. And the more we do it, the more success we're getting from it. Maybe we'll lean, lean even more into this, but I love that with him up there as, as opposed to letting Burrow have seven yards of off coverage and drop to cover three depth post snap every play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I, we talked about it this whole off season, right? We talked about how it makes sense for this to happen. But we weren't sure if it was going to happen just because you assembled all the players to do this kind of defense, this aggressive man coverage doesn't mean we were going to do it. And at first it looked like, I guess we're just not going to do it. And no, we just needed to get all the right guys on the field. That's right. And if the team goes back to the old stuff at some point later this year, then that would be, I mean, it would be so strange after having these really good results with it. So hard for me to believe that's going to happen. It, it wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't, especially because this adds up why this change has occurred over these last two games. It's arrived 
with Witherspoon getting fully acclimated after missing the first week of the season and now fully up to speed and knowing the role you want to put him in and having Jamal Adams also back there. And that, with all the guys that you still have in as far as pretty good health up front on that defense, allows the full picture to come together at that point as far as the plan is concerned. Now, you lose Adams and you slide back with Love back there. Maybe it's a little bit more back into that, okay, this is going to be hold on city a bit. But you got him right now. And right now, at least they, the upside looks good for this defense. I'm, I'm really stoked for it. It just did override anything as bad as loss was, man. To know that this is what we're going to carry going forward, um, it's kind of defensive defense to me that can kind of maybe have a little bit better chance of standing toe to toe with the Niners coming later on this year. Yeah, I mean, did you see the stat from the Browns game? Uh, the yeah, the man coverage stuff. Yeah, how often Ooh, they ran man yeah. and how bad Purdy was against it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, Brendan's referencing a stat of so if many are to Brendan point. I'm glad you brought this up. Remember, many are probably wondering, okay, what did the Browns do to the Niners? Because Browns had a backup quarterback, no Deshaun Watson in that game. How did they beat them? And okay, the, the Niners lost a couple guys. That looks like it on the surface of it. McCaffrey goes down. Trent Williams rolls his ankle, and Debo has his his Debo, thing yeah. thing go on. But it's what you talked about. Raise it. Say that again, because I think I want to make sure people remember this when we end up playing them. This is a very important stat that stands out above all else, the injuries and anything else with what the Browns did. Yeah, the Browns ran man coverage on about 70% of their coverage snaps. And Purdy against man coverage was something like 6 for 17, if I recall correctly. So there there you go. And and I'd reckon to guess that there was a good amount of pressure-based looks that they ran off that man, Brendan. I got to look at the tape myself and we'll probably be reviewing it when we lead up to the Niner game just to see exactly what they did. But I guess there's a lot more stack fronts they brought on Purdy as well and squeezed that pocket a little bit. But, I mean, how can you not look at that stat if you're the Seahawks coming into that game? You go, okay, we got to drop a lot of zone this game. <laughs> no, no, go man, get, get the man out. You know what I mean? Get him out. Mm -hmm. So great, great stat, Brendan. Yep. Um, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation says, uh, Brando won me over on that Tam Tom Brady 12 quote with it. With me, it comes down to context. We see reviews of DK crushing some guy without the context of it being a live play. Yeah. It becomes a, it becomes this little shot where they squeeze in on the shot. You can't see the rest of what's going on in the field. And then it just looks completely awful. Like he's just going in basically, you know, sideswiping a guy. And you know, it's like, it's not how that exactly played out in my opinion. Well, isn't it's like the Heinz Ward rule, right? The blindside block. Is that it, what they got him for? No, he was just being too mean. It's un, it's literally just he's being. It wasn't even blocking late. It was it was just unsportsmanlike because he knocked him on his butt. And the thing with me on that is that he DK even tries on that play to avoid the Heinz Ward situation, like you talk about. Because if you watch the replay, he comes up, gives the cornerback a little tap on the shoulder, like, "Okay, wake up, I'm I'm here." You know, it's a, the, the guy's got to catch behind me. He's on, he's still on his feet with the ball. So now you need to get your hands up and engage with me here. Cause the ball, cause remember the ball's being thrown to his side of the field there. If DK's here, it's not, the, it's to the left side of the field. The ball's being thrown to the left side of the field, albeit it's 20 yards back. But DK, as far as he understands it in that moment is in the line of the play. If the, if the guy breaks free and gets loose, DK's guys, he's got to get his box block laid to free that up for a potential score. So he comes up and he doesn't just merely witherspoon him, right? Cause that's what he did with witherspoon is he just came up around and Brendan just completely knocked him on his butt. This one though, he actually comes up and goes, and that's what Tom, Tom, Tom was saying. Tom Brady was saying and how he saw it. He comes up and, and says, okay, it's here. We're engaged. Let's go. Not a hard hit. His first hit was just kind of a little soft chuck into the shoulder where he goes, wake up. It's time. And the guy instead was like, I don't like, I don't want to fight you. That's what he did. That's basically the corner. He's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I just want to let him in here. 
Shut up, come on. <laughs> That's DK's fault that he that he pushes out. They're like, nah. The guy needs to understand he's playing football. The same touch. Yeah, yeah, I can see it from that angle for sure. Um, appreciate you though, Garth. Glad I won you over there on the uh, on the DK thing, man. Um, got another one here from Garth as well. Thanks for all the do the, the triple dono dip there, Garth. Since it's hard for it's hard for lay people like myself to discern the skill differences amongst the O line and anything other than size and effort. I rely on you, cats. Well, yeah, man. That's as well. You should. We look at the stuff deeply in that way to try to get some discernment on it. Um, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I feel like for years, NFL fans weren't really able to figure out which offensive linemen were good. And PFF came along and they're trying. They're like trying to be the official source of, you know, whether or not an offensive lineman is playing uh, at what level they're playing at. But th that's like all we have because the box score stats are not really going to do anything to shed light there, right? It, 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 it was for a long time. It was just like media reputation. The talking heads would say this guy was great and everybody would be like, oh, okay, I guess that guy's great. It's true. No, it's very true. There is no real stat to lean on. Like you say, PFF has become kind of the stat. I think it becomes clearer at times like it was this last Sunday when you get that, you know, quick pressure rate coming from the Bengals, not merely just and there were points that and we'll get just, we'll get the offense here soon. But there were points, obviously, where Gina was holding, but there was also points where the pressure was just right off the jump, right off the snap. And, and that's where it is easy to see like, oh, Korean's not moving his feet. You know, oh, Bur Bradford got, you know, stuck on there. Um, but, you know, I mean, you look at the grades coming out of this game from a pass blocking standpoint, Phil Haynes posts a, a 31 grade. Um, Jay Coran posts a 41 grade. Evan Brown gets himself up to 72. So at least he was de decent. But uh, Cross was 63 and then Bradford was 60. So, you know, outside of your center, nobody was really doing uh, NFL average work out there on the offensive line in the pass yeah. protection game. I, I think the Cross going up against Hendrickson, I can't really get mad at him for that one. Um, I think he held his own. Completely. Um, the, the, when I was looking at all that, I think the issue really is you had multiple pressures being allowed by every offensive lineman. Yeah. So... Like you, so it felt like everybody was kind of getting beat up in pass protection. Everybody gave up at least two. I think Kerhan led the team with seven, but everyone had at least two. <laughs> and when that happens, it's like there's nowhere to run. Step up in the pocket. Oh, I can't step up in the pocket. There's pressure there too. Roll out this way. No, there's pressure that way too. Like yeah. it would be different if it was like if Kerhan's getting whipped every other play and everyone else is holding up. There are ways to work around that. Right. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Well, as I was hearing some folks talking about him stepping up in the pocket and I'm and watching, I'm prepping for a show tomorrow, Brendan, looking at the all 22 tape of the shots over the top. And to your point, you have the edges crushing inside and they're like coming in as a tandem there to, to kind of close that up. And then you look at the front of the pocket, you got DJ reader beating his man up in front of him. So if it's like, if Gino steps up in the pocket, he's just going right up into the waiting arms of DJ reader. And there was a lot of those snaps like that in this game that you, you would see and go, yeah, I, I, it's hard for a quarterback to know where there's some daylight to go to. He doesn't have a Trent Williams on this line where he's like, well, I always know the left side is going to be clear. And I can get, I can get out of here from that, that method. If I got to get out, there wasn't a lot of um, escape routes in that pocket right. this past week. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, thank you, Garth. I do appreciate your donations. Uh, Snail coming with another donation as well. Thank you, Snail, for the double dip. This is Jerry Judy. 20 receptions on 29 targets for 222 yards. JSN, 16 receptions on 25 targets for 110 yards. Uh, Bob Bobosaurus, uh, four receptions on six targets for 51 yards and one tidy, one touchdown. 
more Bobosaurus. Boy, the uh, the legend just continues to grow with this kid, doesn't it? I, I mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of wild. Um, what do you make of these this Bobo performances? This kid, something real? Are we are we getting uh, just a you know he's right place, right man, right time, or or do we have a guy that's something here? that we've got to work with into this future that we need to start putting in better consideration in that respect to things. Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty real. I think it's pretty, uh, I, I don't think he'll ever make the pro bowl or anything like that, but he's a valuable player in this league. And for a guy you got as a UDFA, that's all you can ask for. Right. Like um, when, when you compare him to somebody like a uh, Jermaine curse, it feels like Bobo is going to be more impactful a player than Jermaine curse was. It does. And yeah. if you manage that, that would be a pretty incredible career for a UDFA. It really would. I I think he's just there is a little bit of something there to him, and you you know the 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 opportunities he gets, he makes the most of them. That's what you can say about him. On top of the run blocking and finding a role there, when he's throwing the ball by Gino, he's gonna make that catch. And I mean that was the one catch he caught, and then still was like, no, I'm not just gonna go down. That's not good enough. I'm gonna get ten yards after the catch. And the other one where he went up and got head head slammed and still just got right back up tough as hell and said you know here we go and uh man does he look like jojo vicious a lot of times out there uh like that play right there was like that was straight jojo vicious that catch on that kind of throw there um when he did get whacked um joe was super tough as well but uh i love what i'm seeing from bobo man it's just hard it's it's can you take JSN off the field and say, I got to put Bobo out there instead? I mean, can you as a coaching staff? And I think some of the issues in this game offensively, Brennan came, were born out of trying to get JSN a little bit more featured, I think. Um, but I don't know if you can do that. I think you still got to find kind of a role for each of these two guys in the offense and, you know, let Bobo kind of footing, find his footing where it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Bobo's main value, even though he has made some catches now, his main value is as a, um, a run, a run blocker. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that, um, you can find ways to get him on the field in circumstances where he can help in that area without taking away from what JSN can do. Cause JSN's not a blocker. That's no. never his game. Like now you don't want it to become something like a pre-snap tell, but there's definitely a way to make this work. It, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Well, and especially when you're actually getting them catches in this game. I mean, they, they can't go to the table and go, well, we just know Bobo comes in. They're not going to try to throw at him or they're not going to try to pass. Well, they did in this past game of the Bengals, to your point. So there's a little bit of already kind of maybe uh, taking advantage of that. Uh, maybe some teams trying to make that read that, oh, Bobo's on the field. It's going to be a run play now. But uh, it's a, as we always say with these kind of issues, Brendan, it's a great problem to have, is it not? You got Eskridge That's coming right. back too. And I mean, I don't even know what they're going to do with that guy. I mean, he, he's just going to be sitting there on the bench, I think. Maybe our, maybe our kick returner or something. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm wondering if he's even here. Ooh, they start releasing I'm, him. I'm wondering. It does come down to him, Dariq Young. It does kind of come down to those two a bit. And I, I want Dariq Young. Dariq Young does some of that stuff where he lines up at fullback. Dariq Young has special teams value that I don't know if Eskridge has. I, I'm taking Dariq over Eskridge all day. Got another year of club, con cheap club control on Dariq Young too that you don't necessarily have on. Yeah. On Eskridge to your, to your point, I, it does make it, I mean, I, I, I can't really push back on you on an argument on that really, to be honest with you. I mean, he's a better blocker. He's got more size. He can play inside and outside. 
Um, he's going to offer you more ability on special teams, I think, than Derek Young, uh, than Deskridge. Eskridge isn't going to go down there as a gunner, and like he got injured this year. And in that remember the first play of the game, first first play of the year, he got oh, injured. I remember that this year on the kickoff, trying to do the kickoff stuff. So he obviously, Mister the the guy can't do that either. I, I yeah, he's probably right here. Yeah, it it kind of makes me think of uh, when remember Darko on the Pistons, Darko mm-hmm. Milicic, like he just couldn't do anything right on any level when he was with them like they let him in i remember i'll never forget this they let darko in the game in garbage time in the game five of the nba finals and he starts bleeding all over the court because his earring came out and he the piercing he he got his ears pierced and it wasn't right so he just starts bleeding all over the court like he can't even do that right like that's where we're getting with Eskridge. He gets hurt. He doesn't make plays. He doesn't get open. He's doing stupid stuff off the field that's getting him suspended. Like there's just nothing going right anymore. Like like what are we clinging on to here? Yeah, it's a good point. And I don't. I mean, at the very least, maybe you just at least try to throw him on the practice squad. And if somebody wants to take him, you're like, man, enjoy. You know, good luck with that. Um, if you can do that, I don't know. I, that's probably not even a possibility, but the team did, the team has at least said, dude, despite what me and Brent, Brendan have said on this course, this was also prior to Bobo's emergence. So I don't know if maybe that starts to affect this a little bit more. And you know, the team loves Derek Young too. It's going to be a interesting decision on their part when Eskridge comes off of his, uh, off of his suspension to see what they do, Brendan, but I can't argue with your logic on it, man. Snail, thank you, uh, for that, uh, donation. Big Patty Daddy, thank you for the $5 donation as well. Says, Brendan bought an HQ webcam to HQ webcam today. Getting started on casual Seahawks YouTube content tomorrow. Hope to meet you boys soon. Brendan. Oh, that's pretty cool. Are they, oh, so he's saying bought an HD, HQ webcam. So he's saying like, I bought an HQ. That's yes. Okay. I don't think he's talking about me. That That's awesome, Big Patty Daddy. I love it, man. Um, and, uh, I, you're going to uh, just get into it and go and, uh, you know, just content, content, man, create, 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 and yeah. it'll go for good for you. It's a uh, thing that I mainly see. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, one thing I would recommend and one thing that I'm starting to do myself is like diversify across multiple platforms. Like I'm actually getting started on, um, starting to post my stuff on Facebook, probably going to go ahead and make a rumble account soon. Twitter lets you post videos and do streams on it now. Like, yeah, my initial impression was you're just stealing from your own viewer base. But I actually am starting to think, no, the the people who watch on one site are different than the people who watch on other sites. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I think that that's a great point on Brendan's part is that the most more places you can post early on, the better, especially as you create that as your standard. And uh, I, it, it does help. It does nothing but help you, especially beyond just the overall viewership and potential of having a little bit of diversified places you're monetized. Uh, having um, uh, just uh, lost my train of thought on that. But, um, oh, it's good for the SEO stuff. Because so, you know, stuff that you're doing on Facebook, Twitters and all that stuff goes back to your YouTube channel. That's going to help you with search engine optimization. So it helps on a couple different levels with that, my man. But uh, good to hear, Big Patty. Get it, brother. Get it. Uh, And thank you for that donation. Uh, Garth with another dono from Garth here. Thank you, Garth Knight, for the uh, fifth dono tonight. Appreciate you, man. This is Brando. I want a few dollars on your parlay recommendations for Monday night football. Yes. Uh, if possible, could you break down future recommendations from one to five? Cool either way. Um, for sure. So um, 
if possible, could you break down future recommendations from one to number five? Cool. Either way. I think you mean about the future parlays for this week, Garth. So tomorrow I will do a, um, I'll do a deal on Garth. I'll do it on the show tomorrow for my picks for this week. Cause I haven't had a chance to quite look at them yet, but I'll uh, put my picks in for this week on the channel tomorrow. We're going to be doing a five o'clock show and I'll also post it down in the comments, Garth. So you don't have to hunt and peck for it in the uh, video itself. I'll post it down in like a pinned comment below the video. So, but yes, I will hundred percent get you the, get you the picks. And how about that, man? You got some, got, got to, got to win on that. I, I love playing it. Unfortunately, you're kind of restricted, Brendan, in uh, in Washington because the Big Brother thing um, yeah. for being able to do that stuff. But man, it's a lot oh, of fun. It's a lot of fun. I like I like it way better than the pick the the doing the um, line betting and stuff. When you can go to players and try to actually, I think this guy's going to be above this or below this mm -hmm. on this against this team. It feels a little bit more skill based, I guess. Yeah, I. Uh... I like both. I like both sides of it. I like sports betting. It's just not something I get to do that often because Washington State and all that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, I, I, um, I haven't really gotten to like the whole DraftKings thing yet or even this stuff. I did go down to um, I think it was I think it's Emerald Queens. Oh, no, it's Emerald Downs started doing a sports book mm -hmm. not too far from where I live. I actually did go there for their grand opening. Nice. Oh yeah, no. That's well. And that's the one place you can do some of these apps too. Is if you're in a casino and you're on their network, they have like a, right. you know, Faraday cage of, you know, the betting that you're allowed in the state. So hopefully they eventually raise that. I mean, even California has it opened up. It's like really California. We're we're more locked down than Cali on this. So yeah, that's not right. That's not right. Come on, that's not good. But it's a lot of fun. It adds a lot, of, especially in watching Red Zone, Brendan, and you got like early early runs on stuff, you know, and I'm watching Red Zone and it's like you're hope you're checking to see if a guy's gonna get 50 yards rushing or whatever, and it just makes it even more kind of action packed. Yeah. Do do you have like a, a gambling story, like a big uh like a, a a win that you had at some point in your life that like you really remember as being like, wow, that felt good? Well, I got a four hundred dollar winner this year so far. That one felt pretty good. I've not been a big gambler in my past. I'm not a big guy doing that stuff too much. So I've not thrown a lot of money on the, on the felt, <laughs> you know, so I've been yeah. pretty, cause I'm one of those guys, you know, when it comes to especially going to like Vegas or doing like the casino gambling, I I'm a true believer. You got kind of the luck gene or you don't, I don't know if you've known people in your life that like they walk past the front of a casino and dollar bills start adding their, and other people that go in there and they can pour money in all day and they're not going to get a single dollar back, you know? And I'm, usually been one of the latter myself so i tend to yeah. i tend to avoid i yeah i um i i used to uh do sports betting with bitcoin back oh. uh, like four years ago i did it a lot actually there was a site that i used and uh my big hit my all-time big hit was uh the warriors raptors uh nba finals okay because the warriors were heavy favorites and i was yeah. like that doesn't make any sense. You guys know that Katie's Achilles is about to pop, right? And <laughs> yeah, I just exactly. loaded up. That was the big one. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, that's where you can do. You can kind of target it on stuff that's a little more like less of you just sort of rolling the dice more. I put this two and two together on this, and I know that this is going to go that way. What'd you, what was your win on it? Uh, well, it was Bitcoin, so obviously it fluctuates pretty wildly, but it was uh, it was a few grand. Ooh, like, uh, I, just, I was just like, this is a winner right here. like Because... You knew that if the Raptors won the finals, Kawhi was going to be finals MVP. There was no scenario where any other player on that team had a chance. So instead of just betting on the Raptors to win the series at like plus 170, you could just bet on Kawhi to win finals MVP, which was like plus 210. 
and you get more value out of it. And then you can tie those two things together because you know, if one happens, the other happened too. And yeah. it, it's just like free, free, free of vague almost. It felt like. Yeah. Well, there's sometimes those ones that come down that they, they like, they missed between the cracks on it and they, they usually have it pretty well slotted down to the you know yard, but yeah. it's uh, I had one this year. I had four of my fives come through and then the fifth one was Pachenko and I needed him to get over 57 yards and he got 55. It's just brutal. Yeah, the, uh, those happen. I, I remember all the bets I used to. I remember all the bets I used to lose. Where like there would te- in basketball, teams would be fouling each other at the end of time. At the end of the game, like there's ten seconds left. One team's up by eighteen, and the other team just keeps fouling like they think they're gonna win, and then yeah. you lose because of that. And it's just like, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I've had those happen too. Yeah, there's it's a bad beats. That's what they call that. A bad bad beat on that. Uh, right. But but Garth, yeah, for sure. Tomorrow I will have your picks ready for you, and uh, just check in the comment section if you're not in the on the stream. Um, but I'll get those posted for sure, bro. Glad glad I would get you a couple ducats on that one. Glad we were good on that. Uh, concierge with Nolan is coming correct, coming hard, and bringing the dot dot dollar bills. He comes in with a massive. $50 donation drop. Mr. Nolan, I'm sorry, a little uh, 10 minutes late and kind of fully acknowledging this. So my bad <laughs> brother, but uh, thank you for the $50 donation on your part. You are awesome for doing that, man. Appreciate the support very much. It says early on, Chase went from the slot, get between Adams and Bobby. Blood was shooting from my eyes. It'll be amazing to see Pete trust his athletes one-on-one to lock down the receivers and not just have predictable windows to throw into. Not only a great donation, but uh, some awesome thoughts um, as well on that one. And uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's been said that when Chase was covered by Spoon, he had like one catch for three yards. Yeah. Yeah. Spoon was absolutely locking him up from that inside. And when he was on the outside with Tariq, Tariq had him handled, you know, in there. I, it's the place I've said with Pete. That you talk about Pete and having a, 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 and look, he wants to coach into the far future. And we're hearing reports that maybe Jody's not going to intend to sell to maybe 2025 at the earliest, which means probably 2027, which means Pete's here for that for a while. And so we want Pete to get better. We want Pete to, to improve the things that might not be good, keep the things that are good in his coaching repertoire. And that's what he's kind of doing here a little bit. The offense, though it struggled last couple of weeks, I think finds his footing because they've modernized it. We're now seeing before our very eyes, the modernization of this defense. We're seeing a willing to be multiple up front, a willingness to squeeze down on, on, on the zone coverages and not just sit back into the soft zone coverages, a willingness to play uh, press coverage on the outside. Um, these things all kind of go differently from what we were running in, let's say, 2018 defensively in our structure. And it's not that it's wholly everything's been thrown out, but it's just that they've adapted and started to evolve in a way I think that they they not only needed to do so, Brendan, but also takes advantage of the, the personnel in the best of ways. Um, and for Pete to make this adjustment at his age and to do it, especially going so opposite who he is and what he wants to do in his in his background coaching and playing coverages and the fronts um, is a testament to being willing to change on his part. And I think that that's um, going to help to make this defense that much better, his willingness to change. That's what we've been harping on, Brendan. You and I have been saying – he can find this gear. He's just got to be willing to change. He's just got to be willing to sit there and go, okay, I recognize you're at the combine. We've been arrogant. Got to change. Now I got to go do it. Now I got to show you guys it. I've, I've shown you I recognize it. Now I got to do it. And once you do it, you'll find, you can find a potential another gear to your coaching career. You cannot be the guy that's looking like Belichick out there in New England where it's like, oh, about ready to be pasture. No, 
They go, oh, no, still running strong as ever. Still, it was never about Pete's age. It was about the age thinking and the age approach in certain aspects that was holding the team back. Right. And also another element of that that I don't want to get past is that now that he's doing it, the players need to deliver. Also, I think that's an important aspect as well. It's like when in 2020, when Pete was really letting Russ cook, we were throwing the ball a lot. We were throwing the ball on early downs a lot. And for about six weeks, it went really well. And then it stopped working. Russell had a couple of bad games. The offense stopped scoring and Pete pulled the plug and never put it back in again. And that made Russ really mad. And I can understand why he would be mad. But if you if you allow things to go badly with uh, if, if you allow things to go badly when the coach starts doing the things that you want him to do, he's just going to go back to the old stuff. So it's also now on the players to continue to perform here. It's well said. Guys getting beat one-on-one or you're giving up huge, huge shots over the top. You're going to get him driving right back in that range. Like you said, like he did where he saddled up Russell that year and went, okay, no more cooking. And uh, that's where I get to that back, that spot. That's maybe more of the theme of the show where there's people that are more in, in disarray to where we're more encouraged because he's doing this and the players are rewarding him for doing that. They're saying, yeah, I can, you can trust me out here, coach. I'm going to hold up over this game. I'm not going to fail out on this. You, I, this is my bag. But Adams, I'm in my bag. I can do this, coach. We got this. Give us the chance to let it run, and you'll see it work. And uh, they're taking those steps in that direction, which is only going to more solidify it in place. And if it does that, I think that that brings with it the raising of this defense to potentially from going from, in my eyes, being a defense that it's top of top in this offseason, looking at like the best of the best they could get to, in my eyes, and how I see it as top 15. But this is a defense now that can climb up into the top 10 state of things, in my opinion. If they can continue to lean in this direction. Yeah. And I mean, you look around the league, like who are the best defenses? It was Buffalo, but Buffalo's got all these injuries now. I don't think they're going to be at that level going forward. I think Dallas kind of got exposed against San Francisco to the point where it's going to be really hard for me to take them seriously again this year. Mm -hmm. And Diggs is out the year. Parsons has a knee injury. I think too, that he's playing through. So there's some stuff going on there. Like you look around the league trying to find the really good defenses. You won't find a lot. Like Kansas City has genuinely one of the best defenses in the league so far this year. That's how bad it is. It's true. It's true. It's there isn't as many good ones out there. It is more about the offensive driven, you know, league on it. And I'd probably put you got, you know, Ravens, Browns. There's a couple. There's there's more than a few teams that I think that will be solidly ahead of us, no matter how kind of i don't think we're getting a special state this year but i don't think they have to be for us to get to a contender state if the offense gets back to to right which i think they will and with the special teams playing as well as they have brandon i think that if this got to a top 10 state offensively you are defensively you are absolutely a contender you know at that at that point but uh knowing it was good to see they didn't just stick adams and bobby on jamar chase throughout the game to your point on that donation is just that would have been horrible to have you sit those guys on and allow the Bengals to target those guys. And quite frankly, in recent years, that would have been what you would have allowed your defense to be targeted in that fashion. You would have let the Bengals dictate it to you. You would have let their best offensive player absent Joe Burrow beat you. But in this game, instead, you tighten the coverage up. You went man on man. You locked it down. Let's keep it going on into the future, Nolan. Love the uh, love your thoughts on it, man, but uh, appreciate the donation as well. That is very, very kind of you, brother. Very kind. Thank you very much, Nolan. Chris Oyes, thank you for the 12. I'm going to call it $12 because I don't know that simple, but we're going to call it $12. Uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, Chris. He says, I know it's early, but are you guys worried about the Browns and Ravens defensive line looking at our current O-line situation? 
Also, just want to say a big thanks for all the Seahawks content, B&B. Our, our pleasure on that one. The, on the last part, no doubt about it. We love what we do. Are we, uh, are we concerned with those two teams? I mean, I'm kind of concerned about pretty much any defensive line until we start getting some of these guys back. But, uh, you know, thinking about it, Damian Lewis started practicing a little bit last week. So I'd say the odds are good that he's going to be back for this next game. So I think we're going to get D. Lou back. And we, we've talked a little bit this year about how Damian Lewis isn't really uh, isn't a run blocker anymore. He's become a pass blocker. But after looking at the way that Bengals game went, maybe we underestimated how much of a positive impact he could, can have on this run blocking. Maybe yeah. it's a little more than we thought. So I think getting Damian Lewis back is going to help. That's going to normalize things because um, – I, I don't know what happened, but Phil Haynes can't play on the left side anymore. Like he's completely <sighs> forgotten how to do it. And I guess he's just a right guard now because he was actually playing really well over there for the most part. I I'm surprised, especially I would have understood Brendan in this game if Haynes wasn't able to get any holes open because it's not his forte. And I've never really thought that's who he is, which is part of the oddity of him moving to right guard when they did with him. But the fact that he fell apart so thoroughly in this game in pass protection and his PFF, PFF, PFF grade, which I think had him as the worst pass protector in this game, absolutely was well well earned in this one going back and looking at the tape. He was, DJ Reader just completely gave him his lunch. And Reader's one of the better defensive tackle, three techs you'll find in the league, no doubt about that. But um, wow, it was, it was disappointing to watch him do that. I think too with this, you'll have Lucas, I would believe, I know there's a little bit of uncertainty about when exactly he's going to come back at this point. But yeah. I, I, um, that certainly is going to be a big part of this. Um, if you don't have Lucas and you're going against the Browns and the Ravens line, that means they're going to line Miles Garrett up against Jake Curhan all day. And good luck, Jake. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck there. And uh, Clowney's playing well for the Ravens. They've got a good pass rush, good defense out there too. So I think that you're right, Chris, to be worried by those two games. I think those are going to be two hard-fought games simply because the defenses that they're bringing to bear on the other side of the football. And um, I think the only thing I can say to give you some encouragement or some hope for it is to say, as Prennan's kind of intimating with Damian Lewis's return, that the offensive line needs to get healthier. When we play those teams, we can't run out what we've been running out currently because I don't think the offense is going to flourish if you're running out Haynes at left guard and Bradford at right guard and Curhan at right tackle against those two teams. I think that's probably two losses for us at that point. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's probably accurate. Uh, there, we've shown that there are things you can do to mitigate having a guy like Jake Curhan out there. Maybe we didn't do enough of those things on Sunday. It's hard to do those things when everybody else is not doing that well either. Like, like there is, you do need somebody on the offensive line to be doing their job at a high level. So that way you can afford to help other players. Yeah. Agreed. So the Agreed. fact that um, we just didn't really get high level pass protection from anybody made that hard. Maybe uh, there, there's a lot of debate going on these last few days. I'm sure you're aware of it, of trying to divvy out blame for the pass protection between Gino, the offensive line, and Waldron, just trying to figure out, you know, untangle it and figure out who the culprit is. I yeah. don't think it's that simple, but there may have been a little bit of overzealousness in the scheme and the play calling in, like, in terms of thinking like, oh, Charles Cross is back. I don't need to put my tight ends out there anymore. And maybe that was a mistake. I don't know. Yeah, that's where we get back to, too. I think the draw to JSN and trying to get him featured into the offense because you're you're already going, well, 
Um, you know, we can trust this. We want to get to JSM. We can trust these guys. They've held up so well over there as opposed to know what's worked is going to more of the two tight end sets. That's been your bread and butter. And it's helped these guys help this line out when you can keep those guys in the block. Um, it did not seem like the blocking schemes oftentimes had the pass protectors in place. They had no answer as well for the, I'd call it the cover zero blitzes of the, of the Bengals where they just brought too many guys for you to block. And I, like you said, it's, there's no one person that's it. It's to blame for the struggles offensively Sunday. It is one that you can go through a couple of different people and parse out the blame. And I, I will say that as though I don't like to throw, I think there's too much blame throwing at Gino. Gino does have his share of blame that he's got a, he's got a field here that is completely valid. It's just when we start to overstate it, where he gets the biggest, largest chunk, I come back to more of the offensive line struggles at the forefront of this. I it, it, I think the way I've been able to parse this out the best way is to put it like this from my standpoint, Brendan. I'd go 50% to the offensive line. I'd go 25% to Geno, and I'd go 25% to Walgren in, in trying to kind of put the blame across the board a little bit. You didn't run block at all. You didn't pass protect at all. It's hard for the rest of the offense to function without either of those two parts working. Um, now, the other two guys didn't help the situation, being Waldron and Geno, in my opinion. Is this a fair take on your part? My part? Yeah, I think so. Um, there are obviously other issues with that game as well. Like there were opportunity, like like this is just the pass protection element of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Where you're talking about just like the ability to protect the quarterback long enough for him to make plays. I think right. that there's other stuff within the offensive performance in that game to unpack. But if you're just talking about that, I, I can get behind that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, uh, thanks for, thanks for the donation, Chris. Appreciate you watching as you do with both of ours on our channels and, uh, man, we'll see how it goes. If the offensive line gets healthier, I think me and Brennan are going to feel a lot better about those two games. If it does, as we approach it, still look a little dodgy. I think we're going to have a hard time finding a win necessarily in those two matchups, either on the other side of it. Um, you know, that's for sure. Uh, big patty daddy asks tips to get viewers on YouTube. Oh, I'll let you lead with, I mean, let's, let's you lead with this one. Then I'll give him my thoughts. I mean, I feel like, I mean, this is going to seem like it's not especially helpful and it it won't be immediately, but you have to be willing to do this for a long time. I made videos on this channel for like five, six years and barely anybody watched. And then COVID happened and I blew up and I probably would have blown up anyway, eventually, because I was making so many videos, eventually things like eventually you just kind of saturate things and something hits like for a lot of people you end up making that one video that just blows up and your whole channel expands from there. That never really happened with my channel, but the point is you ha- if you're trying to do this in a way where you're actually going to be going after getting a bigger audience, you just have to be willing, you just have to understand it's probably going to take years. Agreed. I, I think the thing I've run into, Big Patty Daddy, I've done some helping out with studios down in California with people that are doing channels, aren't Seahawks channels, just channels in general. And you advise a lot of these people on stuff they should do and this and that's wrong or this right and wrong. Um, there's two things that I think I've kind of derived it all down to. Um, first off, it's like Brendan said was the main point that you got to stick to on this is that you're not in this for the short term. If you're going to start up this channel and expect, well, let me see where I am from a month from now, then you're not ready to start up a channel. You need to be in this to understand that this is going to take me years potentially to kind of fully get my footing. Um, absent, like Brennan says, you get a viral video, which you don't want to cut on. That's the anomaly. That's not the easy thing to attain. So you've got to commit to the long game on this. You also got to commit to, I think, early on, something that I especially should have learned early on, Brendan, that I look back and respect and say, this is where I went wrong, Big Patty. And that is that it's a quantity over quality approach here. 
you know, you, you get too much on trying to make the perfect video to begin things when really it's just about getting content out, get content out. That's at the head of this. So the more you create the, the better return you're going to get YouTube's algorithm likes consistency. So that's the mount. That's, that's really at the head of it. And like, if you let the, you let that be kind of a guiding light, in my opinion, Brendan, correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but if you let that be kind of just a guiding light, it'll kind of answer whenever you have a question about whatever specifically you'll have. Should I do this topic? Was this topic going to be one that's going to cause me to take two weeks to get a video out or I can get it out, you know? Um, but I think the quantity over quality approach starting up is probably really the best way. Would you not say as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of something else that I could say about it. Um, yeah, I, I can't really say too much more about it than just that. I think that sums it up. Yeah. And certainly too, like we do here, um, Big Batty, you know, once you get to 100 subscribers, you know, embrace the live stream shows. Took me a long time to kind of realize live stream was a, a possibility or a good good method to go as an approach. Utilize that. You, uh, really as well, one last thing I'll say on this too, Big Patty, is take advantage of the shorts. You know, YouTube is trying to, to basically take over for TikTok. If TikTok ever gets hammered by Congress and shut down, then YouTube is going to be sitting there ready and waiting with all of these shorts built up. And so they're pushing shorts right now like nobody's business in order to try to you know, become that platform as an alternative to TikTok if TikTok does go away. So that's yeah. that's another spot to kind of maybe address or or try to make work. Yeah, I, I I can't do the shorts thing. I just can't say anything in one minute. Like I feel like you can't say anything of substance in one minute. I, it's not easy for me either. I I'll get a random idea, a random play I want to show on there from a game or something, but it's it's not one that's it's hard for me to come up. I say this big patty is being like Brendan, a guy that struggles to fund it, come up with that short content. But if I was starting out and looking for a little bit of a shortcut, the shorts will give you that shortcut. And what's nice about them, big patties, you can do them on your phone. You don't need a thumbnail. So it does cut down the amount of time it takes you to then upload and get stuff produced, especially when we're to that golden rule of quantity over quality, okay. um, at least to start. So I, I think those would be, you take those pathways to begin things, stay committed to it, get your, keep your consistency there and you'll, you'll take off, man. You will. It takes a little bit of time, but you will. Thank you, though, Big Patty, the dono in 12 long months as a member of the channel. Appreciate you for that. Uh, Doodle Bob, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, does Jamal, does Jamal Adams have any chance of being re-signed? I don't think we need to think about that right now. Let's get through this current contract that he's on and see where we are. Like, he's yeah. still got three years left on it, right? Yeah, Doodle Bob, uh, he's got three years left on this. And so it's there, you're not really going to, I mean, maybe they could do a restructuring, but I think that they're just going to, at this point, if he plays like he's played and stays healthy through and just kind of roll, they're going to probably just roll with the contract over the next couple of years at that point. Um, right. I, I think they're, they'll be happy to say that's we're we're good with this. He's back up to running. We'll, we'll roll with this. So no, I don't, I don't think that um, that's on the table currently. You don't have any money you'd really save by it. Like the only thing I could think of is maybe you say, you're not going to really save money either because you've, what the did they convert is based to bonus this year. So you still have all the old bonus money on the other extension before you could even get to the new extent. It, it, you're right. It's all, it's kind of known, but because we got to remember doodle Bob, they don't negotiate until they get to the final year of a deal with players anyway. So correct. And we're, we're at least two years out from that. Thank you though. Appreciate the donation. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, okay, after Brendan's Raptors share, he needs to give his one through five wager recommendations as well. Thanks, Killer B. And we're going to have to, we'd have to, I'd have to bring it up and I'd have to give him a couple of, a couple calls on this one. Yeah, I mean, um, I would definitely take the over on any Geno 
bets you can make because after everything that he's had to hear this week, I think he's going to go out with a vengeance this weekend. But uh, other than that, I don't know. Let me let me bring up a couple of picks. I'll just give you a couple. You give him a couple of a uh, couple of yearnees on these, Brennan. I'll give you a couple of yearnees of some of the good ones I see on here. Um, so let's go to the Seattle Seattle's picks this week. We've got Geno Smith for more than two hundred fifty one yard two hundred fifty one passing yards against the Cardinals. Yeah, I feel like the Cardinals are going to keep it close too because they're keeping every game close. So I'm not worried about it being like thirty to nothing at halftime and then Drew Locke comes in or anything like that. So we're going higher on that one, higher than Geno's 251. Kenneth Walker, 70 yards rushing, higher or lower? 70. It's tough, huh? I'm going to go under. I think we use more Charbonnet because right now the whole world is up in arms because we didn't use Charbonnet enough against the Bengals. DK Metcalf, more than 65 and a half yards receiving. 65 and a half doesn't seem like that much. I'd go over. I feel good. I go over. All right. So uh, we got the first three picks here for Brendan, which are going to be overs for Geno Smith and Dino Cap- Metcalf under for the Kenneth Walker one. Uh, Joshua Dobbs passing for more than 218 yards in this game, Brendan. They got no James Conner, right? He's on IR. They're going to mm-hmm. have to throw the ball more. I'm going to say over. We're going to go over on that. And uh, I'm not going to do the Marquise Brown one that they have available here. Let's pick one other random one here. Let's go with... Uh, um, but, 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 uh, let me find a good one because the I think that Marquise Brown's been kind of injured a little bit, so that's right. I don't want I don't want to have you do, um, having a bet on a. Let me find. Let me find one. One second. I know this isn't scintillating. Um. Okay. How about this? Um. One of these two. Give me. Give me one of. Give him one of these two for the final bet. Kenny Pickett going against the Rams. Stafford going against the Steelers. Uh. At at L. A. Pickett passing for more than 222 yards, or do you like the bet of 269 with Stafford, higher or lower? I'm going to go under on the Pickett bet. I feel like going under on Kenny Pickett is always (laughs) just kind of a winning proposition. Well, Garth Brennan just doesn't trust those baby hands, man. What can I say? He just doesn't trust them baby hands. So there's your picks, man. Down the line, uh, go with the picket under to finish things up there, uh, Garth. And I'll have my picks. I like Brennan's picks, so I I do sign off on those. Um, But I'll have my picks tomorrow as well. I'm going to go through the rest of the action out there across the league, see where the injury reports are, all that stuff. And then I'll have you an updated one tomorrow, Garth. 100%, man. 100%. But thank you for the donation. I do appreciate it. Very kind of you tonight, Garth, for all the dono drops, brother. You're awesome. Uh, Garth with another fiver. says, uh, Killer Bees, give me your top three current offensive lines in an offense similar to the one Seattle runs. Interesting Mm. question. Well... Let me think here. Eagles don't run our offense. No, they don't. Um, the uh, shoot. Hold on. Let me. Let me. Let, I got to take a look at this. Uh, the Bills don't really run our offense, do they? Not really. No. No. Uh, mm, let's see here. Like, what are the other good offensive lines in the NFL? Let's just start there. I think like, the- we already said Eagles, Lions. Offensive line is really good. Lions and they do run a West Coast offense, so I think you can you could put you could point that one I think as being one that's really feasible. How about the Browns with their their heavy use of tight two tight end sets there and and some of their pass, short passing attacks since they've been there. They're not really a you know it's more about moving the chains as well. Yeah. Okay. I think we got to go there. Um, and 
Do you think mm-hmm. the Dolphins' offensive line is good, or do you think the uh, scheme makes them look better than they are? I think the scheme makes them look better than they are. Outside of Teron Armstead, who's a notable name on that line that really stands out to you? I remember they drafted that USC lineman that I hated in 2020, Austin Jackson. I don't they, think he's that good. They hated him too. That's why they signed Teron Armstead. Oh, are so, they? Is he, is he not even playing? Well, I think they pushed him to right tackle at that point. Okay. You know, he did the old like, all right, let's salvage him over at right tackle thing. You know what I mean? Started yeah. out as like, here's our prime left tackle of the future. Then they're like, okay, let's salvage him. Get Teron Armstead in here. Yeah, it, it's it's like uh, you know, it's like it's like the uh, chain of failure for an offensive lineman. You start at left tackle, <laughs> right tackle, left guard, and then right. at that point, like then right guard, then right guard, yeah, maybe right you guard, can go to right the, guard. Is you get the double team help? Then well, maybe once yeah. you get some double team, maybe he'll be all right. You know, you know, and yeah, Justin Britt hit like every branch on the way down the tree he, before he found. Yeah, his he, did. yeah he did. <laughs> yeah, he did. He went all the way down. He just he just skipped the whole left tackle, left guard thing uh, completely. Um, so we've got two good ones. I think we feel solid with. If I was to go with the third one, I mean, I, hard to not point to the Niners line, even though I don't, I don't think it's great. I really don't. But I mean, it performs really well, and it does have Trent Williams, and they do run the West Coast offense. I mean, that's another offensive line that is so obviously helped by the scheme, though. Right? Yeah, like that entire right side and really the left guard is not good. I just can't quite think of another. Trying to go through the rest of the teams out there. I mean, Kansas City's offensive line's okay, but they lost to Orlando Brown this offseason. I think the Joe Thune's not played as well. Uh I don't know if it's as, as clear that they're they would be the one that would be the team there. Chargers Trying. offensive line isn't that good, is it? You got Slater and you got that Zion Johnson kid from BC that we looked at, but there isn't and oh and Lindsley. Corey Lindsley, yep. Yeah. So I mean it's 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 okay. It's not as clear on the third one, Garth. I, I I'm going through my mind and it's I'm I'm not really seeing a clear third. I could give you a, we I think some of those names we just teams we just mentioned would be possibilities there, but that I feel much stronger about the top two that we put up there. The third one's a little bit more of a because again, there's a lot of teams not running our offense necessarily, even that might have good offensive lines. I would say so. That's probably what makes it a bit distinct is it's not as easy to pin down because of that, even though. Even with the Chargers, I'm not totally sure they're running now, especially with Moore there. He's got a lot of those college designs within his attack, you know, which isn't as much built to the West Coast base of things. Maybe a little bit. I'm sure he's got some of it in there, but it's a good question, Garth. Tell you this, there's not yeah. a lot of really good offensive lines as you think about it throughout the league. There's some right. bad there's some bad units out there. A lot of them are covered up by the scheme and play calling. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, like you said, the Niners, how do you pair that between one to the other? Because I think it w- Niners like with Purdy, I think that line can be in a place where if you're the right defense, you can expose them a little bit. You can, if you can force them not to have the game kind of easy for them with how they do with their schematics and opening things up all the time. Uh, but thank you, Garth. Appreciate all your donations tonight, man. And uh, good luck this week on the uh, on the bits. Concierge with Nolan's dropped already a $50 drop, but he's back with another fiver. Thank you, Nolan, for that drop, man. I appreciate you. That is, a, you're very kind with all those support here tonight, folks. Says the Browns are not allowed to ruin the throwback jersey game. NFL script won't allow it. <laughs> That's right, man. You're going to sell any jerseys if we lose, right, Nolan? Gonna... I'll, I'll tell you, if we're playing PJ Walker, that's going to be an opportunity for Witherspoon and Woolen to start stat padding those picks. He's, he's going to give you, like, that, that guy was off. I don't know how they beat the Niners with him playing the way he played. That was miserable. I, 
I think the D, the defense did something no defenses have been willing to do against this Niner attack, and that's go man and and press things up on Birdie and make him uncomfortable. And then Niners lost some, you know, we know this about the Niners, Brennan. Like they've had this offensive explosion since Purdy's gotten in there. It's also correlated with their skill position players who've had a lot of injuries at times throughout their career, all becoming healthy at once and remaining healthy throughout Purdy's time in there. There's been guys that might miss a game here or there, but everybody's basically been running since he's been in there. Comes through this game and Williams rolls that ankle. McCaffrey goes down. Debo goes down. Don't have the guys to throw to now on the outside. They're running man press. They've come with a great game plan. Has, has Cleveland to attack you with it? And that's – I do think some of this is kind of as straightforward as that. And just for whatever reason, teams in this zone-heavy league we are in now, Brendan, are not willing to play this Niners team with those man-based you know, concepts. And maybe they just don't have the guys to do it. You need the guys that can get it done too, which the Browns do. Yeah. It's possible Dallas would have done it if they had digs, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's I think possible. so, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, honestly, we might not need to do that much against that Browns uh, defense if P.J. Walker plays anywhere near the way he played in that Niners game because he, he even with all the things we're saying, he he tried everything he could to give that away. Yeah, with our luck, Deshaun Watson will be back by that game and playing like uh, te- Texan. <laughs> you don't think he's come back? Well... He's it's kind of starting to sound like the Ben Simmons thing, right? It's like they, they there's nothing wrong with him, but he's like, no, I'm not right. I'm not getting I, I can't do it. I guess so. It's possible. And he's got that Cleveland Brown guaranteed contract they gave him, Brennan. So it's yeah. not like they can, you know, it's, it's like, what are you going to do? Even if he does go me? out there, he's mostly looked bad this year, right? Like, true. He hasn't exactly he's not been anywhere near Watson and Texans Texans time. That's totally true, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. The Wilson trade has been topped, by the way. So our time as having the greatest trade in NFL history, I think it's over after less than one year. I think that Watson trade is worse. Might have a strong might might have a strong possibility to it. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. it, it definitely could be in the neighborhood of the worst with how he's looking because he is it, for as much as shade as Wilson gets, Watson's looked. I mean, even worse. Right. It's just he had that suspension at the start of the year that covered it up. Yeah, but that's yeah, that's obviously part of the deal, though. When you traded for him, you knew he was probably going to get suspended for some period of time. I mean, it covered up where they just thought the back end couple of games was him knocking off rust. I mean, you know, like that's that they passed it off to that. True. Uh, But he two games this year, his completion percentage has been like 55 percent. He's crazy and accurate. Even the one good game he had against, I, I think it was the Titans. He had that one play where he's getting tackled and he just throws the ball behind him for like no reason. It's like the Aaron Brooks play, but worse. <laughs> like he's just like, like even st- you have stuff like that, even in a game where he actually played really well. So combine that with the fact that they gave him the fully guaranteed contract. And I think they gave up more picks than Denver did for Wilson, because I think Three it first, was, wasn't it? So three, wasn't it three ones? I think it was three first. So they gave up three, more. Three. Three pure ones, I believe. Yeah. So I think that's a little bit worse. I do. Browns were middle the road last year, right? Yeah, they were passable. So, I I mean, that's the one thing I'd say with our picks is that we got two top 10 picks out of it, a top five pick and a top 10 pick. I think their two picks probably will end up finding themselves more. Those three first round picks will be all middle of the road. And we got the two twos and the players in addition. Yeah. But But, when you're looking at it from the Broncos side of things, the Broncos are going to be able to, it's going to hurt but they're going to be able to move on after this year if they really want to. And I think they will. 
Yeah. Like Deshaun Watson, you're you're never getting rid of that guy until that contract is up because he it's it's fully guaranteed. Like you're gonna live with that contract forever. Yeah, you're right. You couldn't even decide we're gonna split this into a post June first designation. I'm like, oh great, you tapped your cap ad for two years, not just one. You don't have the money. You gotta let him roll. <laughs> so yeah. they're they are they are the definition of stuck in that situation right now with him as a player. And uh yeah, it's it's never good when the doctors are like, No, he can play, and he's like, No. There's something fandom going on in here. It's just like, I don't know, I got like a ghost in my shoulder. I don't, it's, I don't know. It's, well, it's not showing up on the MRI. I don't care. It's, it's in there. No. <laughs> exactly. hopefully, hopefully it gets another week. I certainly feel a lot, even though Watson hasn't played his best. PJ Walker, like you say, has got me feeling like the defense is tucking the napkin in, grabbing the fork and the knife. You know what I'm saying? Especially with no uh, Nick Chubb to kind of relieve some of the pressure off of him either. Exactly. Um, but thank you again, Nolan, for all your donations, brother. Jason Tudor, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, loved your Baldur's Gate review, Brendan. Yeah, I posted that a few hours ago. I'll have to go check it out, man, because I'm I'm eventually probably going to get around to, to playing that game. And that seems to be the game that's been the most delivering the goods of recent games coming out this year, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah. Um, it's already been reported that other studios are angry that Baldur's Gate 3 came out because it makes them look so bad mm-hmm. with all the work that they put into making that game run so well and work so well and be relatively glitch free and do all these things that modern games constantly don't do. It's it, it actually uh, supposedly has made other studios angry because it makes them look incompetent like games, you know, like, uh, uh, Jedi, you know, games like Jedi Survivor, which was a good game, or Hogwarts Legacy, they don't run well when they come out, and it's like, why? Because yeah. Baldur's Gate 3 is huge. It's like a whole continent that you're exploring. <laughs> and the game, like, there's never a point where, like, you click over in this area, and suddenly the whole world flips upside down, and you're falling into space forever, and then the game triggers, like, 17 error pop-ups and crashes. Like, you're not seeing that stuff. Yeah. And when you compare it to a game like... um did you did you ever look at the uh, Gollum game that came out a few months ago? Yeah, yeah. Or or Redfall. It was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was hilarious. It was. I mean, not just like hilarious. Like um, it was. It was legit hilarious looking at the models and the gameplay and the glitchiness of it. It was insane yeah. that somebody thought that this was something we should put out there on the open market for people to play. Exactly. So yeah, more than it being a great game, because I do think it's a great game, but it is a remarkable achievement, I think, to make a game like this in current day. Yeah, that's just good to hear a successful game out too, just above all else, because there's so many coming out now that just are hyped and promote all the hell, and then they come and they're not delivering anywhere near what they promise. And we're just, we're looking for, I don't know about you, but I'm just looking for gaming to start to uh, take its next step forward. You know, what's, what's the next thing that's going to kind of be unlocked in this realm to, to re kind of energize it. Cause it's been a little stagnant in recent years, I think. But yeah, very good. Thank you though, Jason. Appreciate you. Wicked garden. Sorry, a little bit late on acknowledging the dono, but I want you to know I'm thankful nonetheless for it. So thank you for that $20 donation. Wicked garden. I really, really do appreciate that. Very kind of you. He says we've lost our identity in the red zone gotten soft we need to get nasty in the red zone and enforce our will charbonnet two carries also where was the 12 and 13 personnel this loss was also on waldron 
I'll let you lead with your thoughts on this, but I love, I love a lot of what Wicked Garden's got to say here. So certainly got more on top yeah. of it to add. Well, I'll tell you, I got a video coming out in the next couple of days about this, but uh, I, I did a little digging. Red zone offense is valleying right now across the NFL. Uh, I mean, the, the Dolphins are on pace to have the greatest red zone offense in 25 years. But uh, other than them, red zone offense is really struggling right now. Uh, through six weeks, teams are averaging a touchdown like 53% of the time in the red zone, which is the lowest it's been since, I think, 2011. So something's going on. Scoring's down, what too. Right. I think scoring's down. Quarterback play seems feels like it's down. Every quarterback is turning in a stinker. Even these, you know, elite quarterbacks. We're, we're six games into the season at most for these quarterbacks. It feels like every one of them has had at least one bad game except for Tua and uh, Jared Goff. And Tua did have the Buffalo game, which wasn't great. So maybe that. But yeah, there, there's something going on here. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh some people are theorizing it's the cover two shell that these teams are running. That's really just punishing these quarterbacks. I, I feel like in the, in with the way the NFL is right now, you really have to be willing to take what the defense gives you every single play. The moment you decide you're going to push it a little bit is the moment you're just going to get punished. I, I feel like there's a little bit of that going on, but this is a league wide thing right now. And we're going to have to, uh, we're, we're, we're going to have to try to figure out what the counter is. Agreed. Well, I think there is some of the counter in, in Wicked Garden's statement, as I, as I think it does exist in there. And specifically, maybe the nastiness, the the running the ball. I think if we were to look for a common denominator throughout the league as to why the red zone efficiency has gone down, I think that we could also point to, and maybe let me know if you think I'm wrong on this, you could also point to the fact that the teams have gotten way less committed to running the football. And that it always used to be the way that this played out offensively, of that you you pass between the 20s, you run to score. And that not just that you're just getting inside the 20, now you run all the time, but that there's a heavy prevalence of trying to run the ball once you get inside that 20 and make it happen in that way. And teams, because they don't consistently stay in trying to run the ball throughout the course of the game, once they get down there, they've just been so pass happy that now to try to you know, adopt an identity of, okay, we're going to be a smash mouth team down inside the red zone is not so easily worn as, as a costume. You know, you have to have that as your sort of identity between the twenties to have it be with the word. Now you can, you know, bang it in a little bit. Um, I think there's a little bit of that at play at all. Do you think that's, that's a fair way to look at it too? Generally speaking? Yes, I agree with that. I think there's some of that going on. I will say for this game, I don't think the run blocking was there. So I don't think running the ball more yeah. would have necessarily fixed anything. A lot of people after that game said, why didn't we run the ball more? Why did we get away from the run? I think the answer is because the run wasn't working. We had good runs in the first quarter and then everything was just run into the brick wall for a half a yard. Yeah. And I don't think it would have gone any better if we had run the ball more in that game. Now, when we get some of these players back, like a Damian Lewis, then it'll be different. But in that game, I actually don't agree with what a lot of people are saying, which is we should have run the ball more. No, I think you need to run the ball when the run's working. Yeah, agreed. I agree. I think that as well, and just within Wicked Garden's point on this, I, I think you're right, the running game wasn't working and that they did have some attempts down in the red zone trying it to your point that it was not only did you not work, you weren't getting but maybe a yard, a negative two-yard play. 
Some of this is, I wonder though, too, when the thinking of getting Charbonnet was to have him in the use down there in the red zone where everything does become compact and a hard nose runner like that, that can take a two yard run and bodies are hanging off of him and turned into four or five yards. Whereas Walker's more of your, I'm going to dance and find some holes somewhere. And that maybe it works better to have the hammer down there than the dancer down there. I think that that's a fair assessment of it a little bit. And I would have liked to have maybe seen a couple of those carries go to Charbonnet down there instead of Walker in those moments, because I think he can be effective potentially down there for us. And this is part of the reason you drafted him is not to expect Walker to have those hammer carries, but you got the hammer for the hammer carries. And uh, so I, I, I agree with that assessment of it. Um, the 12 and 13 personnel, kind of like we talked about Wicked Garden. I, Brendan, I don't know if you you were buying what I was selling on that too. If you went away from it a little bit, at least partially, or at least a nice chunk of it, because you're trying to fit more of JSN into the offense. You buying that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else it could be. Like, it kind of has to be that. And I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on that one, right? I'm kind of mm-hmm. conflicted because to me... I mean, everybody over the last couple of days has been freaking out. I'm sure you've seen the pictures of JSN running wide open for a game-winning touchdown and Geno's looking at him and not throwing it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like, have has their own read into that. It's like, oh, no, Geno's the worst quarterback ever because he didn't make that throw. There are people who are saying, oh, he was already looking to run it at that point. He was already getting pressured. You know, people going back and forth about that. Um, at, On the one hand, I do think maybe we got a little overzealous with getting away from those packages. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you don't have JSN in the game, then he's not running wide open because there was another play where he was running for an easy touchdown and Gino didn't see him. So I'm a little conflicted on how to feel here. Yeah, we left Kerr, we kind of hung Kerhan out to dry a little bit, but you don't get those plays where JSN is coasting to the end zone for an easy touchdown if if he's not in the game. So I, I can kind of see it both ways. I'm not super against what i saw on sunday but i feel like there's got to be some balance here i do as well i uh i do think it's uh it, it is them trying to fit him in a bit in this offense and find that role and we want him that's why you picked him in 20th that was one of the holes in your offense last year was the slot receiver and not utilizing that better and more and then defenses could kind of predict into that a bit um utilizing the 12 and 13 personnel is going to be an important part of what we do going forward. Um, there's got to probably got to be a balance though, to it into trying to find the ways to work Jackson in as well. Cause there's going to be defenses that you're going to be best suited to hammer them with the 12 and 13 personnel. And then there's going to be defenses that are probably better suited to have you hammer them with this, the slot receiver and the three wide receiver looks and, and go at it that way. So I think you just got to judge the opponent by that, you know, a little bit. I, I think too, Brendan and uh, Garden, thank you for uh, the donation. Uh, pretty much fully agree with you on it, man. I think a little bit more running. I, I think like Brendan, it wasn't necessarily fully all the thing, but definitely at the heart of it, using Charbonnet and more of those situations a bit, I think could be helpful. I think a little bit of the pressure stuff with Gino missing some of these shots in this game, Brendan. And and to me, there's, I guess, two to three notable moments that stand out for people. The DK one down the sideline where, you know, he's frustrated. The, the JSN one, and I guess there's another JSN one I... Um, I didn't catch on my tape review today of it, but it might be on there when I look a little closer tomorrow as I'm prepping for that show. There's some big moments that are bright that stand out in Geno missing, but some of this becomes a little bit cumulatively, and it's not to explain all this away again. Brandon, let's be clear. You and I both agree. Geno didn't have a good day. It was not right. his best performance, but there is also a cumulative effect of since about week 13 of last year, has this offensive line pass protected, would you say, I know you don't have the data in front of you, but just give me your gut instinct on this. If I was to tell you between zero and 32 teams from week 13 onwards of last year through the week five now, where would you put the ranking of our pass protection specifically in general terms through that time period? 
it's been it's got to be close to the bottom like um going into the season if you looked at the where our offensive line was ranked on all like the major analyst sites like ESPN PFF uh I don't know if football outsiders is still active anymore they might have actually gone defunct but you know sites like that and they're ranking offensive lines we were bottom 6 on every list and that was because of the way we played at the end of the season last year yeah. There's no other reason why it would be that low because most of our offensive line was young and most people would say, oh, they're going to get better because they were highly touted rookies in the case of our tackles. Uh, Damian Lewis was entering a contract year. They were ranked that low because they looked that bad at the end of the season. And so far this year, we played mostly backups. I think backup offensive line have gotten more snaps on this offense than starting offensive linemen in total, in totality. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And is it not a reality? So if we know that you have an offensive line not pass protecting well through that period of time, this that's a good amount of time. Week 13 through now this week, six or whatever we're in. Is there not a cumulatively the cumulative thing that starts to add up on a quarterback where if it's one thing when I'm under one game of duress and I'm under constant pressure and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, I get through it. I'm still playing confidently within myself. I'm getting hit at times, but then you go nine, 10, 11 games in a row with it being that way, even over the course of a two seasons. And doesn't the quarterback start to feel a little bit of the ghost? Don't they start to miss now some of the open reads down the field? And that when we start to backtrack this a little bit down to it, it's not to fully excuse Gino's performance, but to explain, explain it a little bit more of that stuff is cumulative. It starts to add up. It happened with Russell Wilson near the end where he was starting to see ghosts from all those years of taking those hits too much, starts to feel ghost, starts to feel pressure that's not there, starts to maybe miss an open read from time to time that you'd normally think that they would see. This is where my confidence comes back, Brendan, to if the offensive line gets closer to full strength, Gino will then start to perform better with it because he'll start to have more of that time in the pocket and he won't miss as many of those open throws. Am I out on a ledge on that? Or would you say that that's a fair assessment of the situation? Yeah, yeah. Or another way to put the, it would be you're going to have games like this. Games like this are going to happen when the, uh, when the uh, pass protection breaks down to this extent. The, it, it's just... It's kind of like playing Russian roulette. Eventually, it's going to get you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, so, I mean, I, I think you and me have both kind of been on the same page with the Geno thing. He's not an elite quarterback. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think any either of us has ever said he's an elite quarterback. I think that he can look like an elite quarterback in this offense when everybody's healthy. Yeah. But I don't think he's actually an elite quarterback. And I don't get angry about that. Because remember, we didn't pay Gino like a, uh, an elite quarterback. He didn't ask to be paid like an elite quarterback. So I'm going to give him more latitude than I gave a guy like Russell Wilson, who always wanted to be paid top of the market. And if the day ever comes, and it probably will come eventually, when the Seahawks have a quarterback who's making top of the market money, and by then it might be like 65 or $70 million a year because that's where we're headed. Yep. You know, you better believe that I'm going to hold that guy to a different standard than I'm holding Gino to right now because every quarterback in the league that is starting is either on his rookie deal, is making more per year than Gino, or is named Jimmy Garoppolo. That's right. That's you got to take into account what he is making. I think there's a little bit of a thinking here, Brendan, that the quarterback position is sort of this person that flies on high, and that that they're that they're there to be if they're if they're the guy, right? This this vague term that people like to apply. Well, is he the guy or he's not the guy? Or he'll take you somewhere, he won't take you. But there's this thinking that this quarterback who's the guy, if he's to be that guy, has to be the carrying you through the day, 
So if he's under an onslaught of pressure, doesn't matter. He's just so damn good that he's going to win the day. You know, things breaking to hell here, left and right. Receivers not running the routes all the way through. Doesn't matter. He's just going to carry the day because he's the guy. I feel like it's a beer commercial or something. Are you the guy, quarterback? But this is not what we're trying to build as a team, in my opinion, Brendan. You're trying to go back to the blueprint of how you established the model prior that got you to back-to-back Super Bowls. And that wasn't finding the guy at quarterback at Russell Wilson. He's a really good quarterback. But when you went to the two Super Bowls, he was a very efficient, functional quarterback who could make some plays from time to time over the course of a game. And the team is, to me, trying to build a little bit of the similar, albeit a bit of a different, because I think Gina will be way more volumetric in his passing attempts than Russell was in that early 2013-14 time. So he'll be asked to do a little bit more. But I, I do think that he is, in my opinion, a top 10 quarterback. And I don't think that makes him elite. I think elite's top five, top three. But I think he can be a top 10 quarterback, like you say, especially when things go well. And I do maintain this again, as I've said multiple times over. I posted this in my chat, Brendan. I didn't get one response. I've said it multiple times. Nobody's given me an answer back to that. Show me a quarterback in the last three years, five years, 10 years, who goes on the road, goes on the road down three-fifths, four-fifths, five-fifths of his offensive line against a team that's going to be one of the two or three best teams of their conference that given year. And went out and was able to carry the day, overcome that offensive line issue. Not, not regardless of what happened with the receivers or the running backs or their defense, that specific thing. And I've yet to have anybody who's able to supply an answer on that, providing that question. And if none of these elite quarterbacks have been able to do that, or, or then why are we hanging the expectation on Geno that he should? That's kind of where I'm trying to go with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I have no problem with people being critical of Geno right now and that to me that that Sunday game that was the first time since Gino was named the starter last year when I felt like he blew it and I do think he blew it in mm-hmm. his own way the, even with the protection being what it is there were opportunities for him to make plays that he didn't make I I I, I um have no problem with being critical of Gino I was very critical of Gino right after the game was over but again it's it's like I said you can be critical of somebody, but it doesn't mean you hate them and you don't want them to be on your team anymore. There's some nuance there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and he didn't play and I'm with you as well. And even though I'm, I am showing my support of him. It, it, I've been on record saying as well, didn't play a good game. Um, but like I said, it's the nuance of didn't play a game too. We got to get rid of them. Got to find them. Got to find the middle ground on that. You know, uh, Y2K. Thank you for the $2 donations is, can we address how tough of a bad mofo Jake Bobo is? indeed man he's a a blocker with attitude out there and purpose and is a pass catcher with his run after the catch and that he gets smacked in the head standing right back up and smiling and you know he's he's definitely got some toughness to him yeah that that's one thing you can say about these guys like um it, it, it it's one thing that i'm starting to take more notice of the more football that i digest especially in things like college football as well like you had uh, you know, Metcalf, even in a game where he did a lot of things that made a lot of people mad, he leaves with the hip injury. So now he's got the rib injury and the hip injury. A couple drives later, he's back. Like that's mm. a guy who's tough. And I'm really starting to, I feel like in the modern day, you notice those things more now. Like I feel like in the nineties players would just get hurt. And you as a fan watching at home on the TV, wouldn't really notice. Like you'd be like, uh, okay, that guy left the game for a little bit. That could be anything. And the announcers may or may not talk about it now with Twitter, every time somebody tweaks anything, you're hearing about it and you're aware of the fact that, wow, these guys are playing through a lot of things. Yeah, It's uh, like what we saw with uh, Michael Penix the day before, where Mm -hmm. he's got cramps so bad he can't throw the ball more than 10 yards down the field. 
still finds a way to drive the ball down the field, gets you down to the one foot line. Your offensive line fails you. And then he gets the ball back a couple minutes later and he goes and wins the game, even though he's in immense pain. And it's yeah. like, you know, okay, we can add toughness to uh, the uh, discussion when it comes to Michael Penix now. And you, you really start to pick up on those things more, I think, in as the way in which you digest football becomes more multifaceted. Especially because we have those guys like uh, Deshaun Watson or Kadarius Tony type that will lean in the direction taking advantage of, oh, I don't feel quite right. I don't want to play. You know, there's a lot of guys that will take the easy out when they get the injury and say, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't go. Um, versus those guys that will. So the other thing, too, is that when you start to hear the stories of like, you know, hearing about some of the usage of Toradol and stuff like that back in the day, and just to understand how much these guys have to get their body back to being prepped to play on Sundays and what they got to go through. And that, you know, you got these guys taking these shots like it's, you know, they're taking their vitamins almost just to get through practice, just to get their body prepped. And to know that that's how much pain you have as a player to go through um, and just to get yourself right and ready to play every Sunday. That's it's a special breed that, you know, can fight through not only injury, but hard hits and, and all that stuff. Um, but Bobo's definitely one of those guys. Metcalf's definitely one of those guys. And uh, I'm glad he's on the team, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this kid going forward. Every chance he gets, he just does the most with it. So I absolutely I don't know what I don't know what the plan will be for him in the future, Brendan, but uh, I think he will be ever more an emerging part of this Hawks future with this receiving core. He's got a place in this league. He does indeed. Connor Oswagler, thank you for the $2 donation. Asks, who are your top five Seahawks so far this season? Well, thank you, Connor, for that $2 dono. Give me your top five. Uh, Witherspoon. Uh, Wagner. Walker. I'm going to go with Walker. Wow, a lot of W's in there, actually. I just realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <are> you... <laughs> Woolen. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, maybe I still want to go Metcalf because his catch percentage is so high this year still. Like, it's higher than it's ever been. I don't know if it's top five, though. Let me think about that for a second. Uh, part of me wants to go Colby Parkinson here because I think he's actually been better than the numbers indicate. Like, his blocking has become genuinely a weapon. But I'm not going to go there yet. Uh, I'm going to read. Read? Yeah, okay. Read. Read's a good one. And then I think I'm actually just going to go Metcalf. Okay. I'll go. Uh, I like your Witherspoon Wagner pick to go at. I would I would include Metcalf in there. I think I got to go Jaron Reed. And then I'll go uh, Boye Mafe as my number five. That's a good one, too. I like it. Yeah. I like how Boye is looking here. He got a kind of freebie sack this week. It was, he was unblocked, you know, just, I don't, we had one of those plays too, where you have the edge defender coming off and the tackle just doesn't block the edge. And sometimes it's just a four man front. And they, I don't know what it is in your offensive scheme that just has you open that up at times, but it's freaking weird. Um, yeah. Thank you though, Connor, for your donation, man. Appreciate you. Uh, concierge with Nolan with another fiver. Thank you, Nolan, for all the donations tonight, man. I do appreciate it. He says, uh, DJ Fluker's name has been heavy in the chat as a guard option. Looking ready to go on social media. Your thoughts? Um, I don't mind it. Um, he seems like he's in pretty good shape. I will say this. Don't think for one second that he's going to come in and play tackle for you. Just uh, get that out of your head. That's not happening. No. Uh, people are trying to figure out a way to replace Jake Curhan before Abe Lucas gets back, and that that's not it. 
But um, if you want to bring him in as a as depth at guard, then I I'm not against that. It would be better if he was a left guard because that's kind of where we need depth right now. Right guard actually seems okay between Haynes and Bradford, but I'm not against it. Yeah, that's the tough part with this is Fluky really is a right guard. That's where he fits to me, Nolan, um, pure and simple. I don't think he would hold up a left guard very well. He's also not going to be the most mobile of offensive linemen when you're out there, so he's not really technically a great scheme fit for what we do. But if Haynes is in at 100% and if Bradford's fighting through an injury right now, it, it may be best, being that we're not getting a bye coming up anytime soon, to have him there as an option to go to because – I certainly don't like the op the the thing of us feeling like, well, we've got to have Haynes and Bradford trotted out there because we don't want to have to put McClendon Curtis out there. You know, uh, that doesn't mean that they're the best option. That means that you don't want to go to the worst option. So, it, 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 Fluker's not going to cost you any money at this point. He'll come in on a league veteran deal, a league minimum deal. Um, he knows the program. He doesn't know maybe the scheme or anything, but he knows the coach, knows the program, knows what time it is on that. I, I don't think it could hurt. I don't really see the 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 downside on bringing him in at that point, um, especially since I don't think, Brendan, we're going to have a trade to make. I'm not really sure that there's really a deal. Maybe now that we finally have heard Anthony Richardson is going to be out for the year, maybe the Colts finally get out, get back into a realistic state of mind and realize what they got to do. Well, you heard about Grover Stewart today, right? No, what happened yeah, with him? Uh, he suspended six games for PEDs. Well, there goes there goes uh, Buckner. So that's out. So I'm I just ever increasing because they're not. Are they going to move Buckner now in addition? You think? I mean, that they opens? could, but I, I I don't I don't know. Our defensive line is really good right now. I'm I'm worried about it holding up as the season goes on. But man, those guys are playing good. I know PFF killed them for the Bengals game, but I don't know why. I, I don't, I don't know either. I, I, didn't I I'm this. trying to figure that one out. I didn't get the scores on that one at all. They didn't match to my eyes what I saw from them up front. So I, that was weird. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit with you. I, it's You don't really seem like you need it, but I worry about needing it by the end of the year. And um, yeah. I, I just don't know that the Buck, the Colts would be willing to make a move there, though. And, you know, if they trade him now, that puts their defensive line in a semi-non-functional state with those two, their two inside guys completely out. But that would be them tanking at that point. So, you know, maybe that's a possibility here on the table for this, you know on the way that this could go. It's kind of hard to say. It's it's a little bit tough to say. So, But um, no one in regards to, to Fluker, I'm, I'm a, a thumbs up on it. I don't think there's a better guard available on the market and getting just a little bit of depth in here. Him better than McClendon Curtis. And this line's gotten really thin early on here. So might might help to reinforce it just a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'm for it. Appreciate you, Nolan. Thanks for all those donos tonight, man. You're great. Um, CJ Kersman, thank you for the $5 donation. Reading many thoughts from people believing that the red zone struggles for Cincinnati boils down to Waldron not being able to scheme in high leverage situations. Hmm. I, I mean, how were we in the red zone last year? Not great. 17th. Right, and so far this year we're twentieth. So both years basically right around average, slightly below average overall. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I've definitely seen him do some good things in the red zone, but like I said, red zone scoring is down this year collectively. Mm -hmm. Like I think league average right now is about fifty three percent, and we're at fifty. So I don't think you can undersell that point too, in conjunction with the points being down, because you have you have like five years in a row. 
points goes up, point goes up, point goes up, point goes up. Then this year randomly right now, and maybe this equalizes out over the course of the year, but this year to start out, points are kind of significantly down. And that's with the the freaking Dolphins putting up funny numbers. You know, that's cooking the books a little bit. You know, that should be pushing the numbers, but no, you're you're down. So I think it's a good point on your part, looking at that at least initially. There's other reasons, but that is a kind of initial point. There's a little bit of a league-wide trend out there in addition to this. Yeah, and again, I'm trying to figure out what's causing it. Like, like, it does seem like defenses have found something that works really well to limit teams from scoring and scoring in the red zone. But I wonder what it could be, right? Because we talk about how every rule change is designed to favor the offense and hinder the defense. It's really hard to say. I think some of it does come to the run game a little bit and teams just don't run consistently and that you get down there, everything gets compacted. There is no ability to now take advantage of teams playing deep coverage so that you can dink and dunk underneath. Now they're taking away the dink and dunk because there's no threat on the back end. you got to run the ball, but you don't have the personnel or the commitment to running to make it happen at that point. I think some of that's there. Uh, some of it's that your defense are getting faster all the time. You give them a shorter area to cover. You know, you got some quick cats out there that can get in a lot of areas. There's not as much open, open grass, but we'll see if this continues throughout the year. I will say the one thing that stands out in the red zone when watching the tape and no, it's not all I think on Waldron. I think Gino had a couple of missed throws in the red zone. Not a lot. There's a couple, but I think the one thing that stands out to me with Waldron, and I don't know why this is taking place with the offense is that we've become very stagnant prior to the snap. The, the pre-snap motion is gone from the offense and completely gone when we get down by the red zone. And I'm not really sure of that. That's one of the ways that the Niners have maintained a lot of usefulness down by the red zone is they're running pre-snap motion every damn play. So I don't get why we, we kind of went away from it. And it seems like it's gotten more stagnant with time. And I don't know really why, but that was certainly in watching the red zone cutups here, just looking them over again and again, man, everybody's just in the same place prior to the snap post snap. And you're not, there's no motion. There's no guys already going a little bit. And uh, that that stood out to me in the lack of creativity overall and some of the route concepts and what you're running down there from Waldron. It wasn't the most, you know, every, you run to a spot, sit down. You run to a spot and sit down. You run here to a spot and sit down. It wasn't a lot of like flood zone concepts or run this way and come back over this other direction, you know, like the Detroit game. We had the, the you know, the locket running the, 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 the um, crosser into the back of the left corner of the end zone, you know, where everything starts to the right and looks to the right on the rollout. And then you come back and throw it over to the left. There's none of that creativity being employed this past week against the Bengals with Waldron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he, he just, he got beat. He got beat in this game. He got beat. And um, I, I, I'm just very hesitant to try to draw big, massive, broad sweeping conclusions based off what happened in that game. I see it. People trying to say it with Gino, people trying to say it with Waldron. Like, like you know, I've gotten some comments saying, you know, I, I don't understand the Waldron hype. What's so good about him? And it really feels like it just largely stems from this this game. Maybe yeah. a little bit the previous week as well. But, uh, I mean, we I think we have to understand context here a little bit better. And sometimes a bad game is just a bad game. You don't need to make it more than just a bad game. Agreed. Especially when it's not against a Bengals team that's not too bad, right? That wasn't a bad unit across from it over there. There's a reason you and I had this game as Seahawks losing on the road is we thought not because the Seahawks are bad, because in large part, because the Bengals are a pretty good team and getting to play at home. You know, yeah. that also that also kind of factors into this too. As they say, they get paid to do their job as well here. Yeah. Um, uh, but thank you, Kersman. I appreciate it, man. It's a great uh, it's a great thought on your part, and I think it is definitely a complicated answer to the question as far as this goes with last week, but uh, definitely Waldron's got his share of some blame to 
to field here. Garth, uh, thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate all your donos tonight. Garth says, what's funny is Watson being in his head with injuries reminds me of a, reminds me of a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist left tackle on Green Bay. Dr. Joe Rogan is busy with second opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, by the way, it, it's totally possible that Watson is genuinely injured in a way that the doctors can't pick up on. That's very possible. I'm not saying that's like, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm sure that that's the case. I'm saying it's a possibility and Watson doesn't exactly deserve a lot of benefit of the doubt right now, I don't think. And there's maybe a sneaking suspicion you might have that, oh, I start out this, I, I have last year, I play like crap. I start out this year playing like crap. I have no answers for why I'm playing like crap. Uh, I, I've got an injury. That there, there may be that right. there. I'm not saying I know it to be there, but that there's some maybe smoke to that, to that potential fire, right? Just a little bit, maybe a little, bi little billowing, maybe not full on. We'll see. Yeah, as long as he doesn't play against us, that's the bottom line here, Garth. You know what I mean? <laughs> or <laughs> play against us and then play bad. Yeah, exactly. One That'd of the two. Cool we'll take either or. Either or. Thank you though, Garth. Uh, appreciate that, Garth. The uh, double double dip in the dono train again here, man. Um. Thank you, Garth, for all your support tonight on the channel and uh, ever, as always, with that. So I'm sorry. Let me get to the dono here. Uh, Garth says, now that you all bring it up, how bad was that smack to Bobo's dome? I didn't see it till the YouTube highlights. I mean, it was bad enough to draw a penalty, so it was that bad, at least. <laughs> I legit thought for a moment they might consider the uh, targeting. I wasn't calling for ejection, but look, that Quandre Diggs ejection hit that he had against the Patriots a couple of years I ago. that. I thought it was pretty equivalent to that. And if you're going to, if you're going to eject Quandre for that, then why shouldn't the Bengal defender be ejected for that hit? I mean, it was a direct hit head to head hit. And it looked very much like a targeting spear move to me. Uh, I'm not trying to say, I know the intent is hard, but it looked, that's how it looked at least. So uh, at the very least straightforward, easy as you get to call a penalty flag on that play. No, no doubt about Garther being any wolves right on the line. It's like, no, you led with your head, you hit his head. He's a defensive play. He's a defensive player at that point. That's garden variety, 15 yards all day. But I kind of think it should have been. If we're going to do the letter of the law, if you're going to hit us one way without, I didn't think Quandre should necessarily be, you know, ejected at that point. But if that's the standard, then that's the standard. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL, like they have to determine what their rules are and the players have to abide by whatever rules they NFL comes up with. Like, I'm sure you're hearing now that the uh, hip drop tackle is actually very possibly going to be banned this mm. offseason. The NFL is looking at it, the uh, the uh, Geno tackle, which um, you uh, a couple weeks ago actually came down against the idea of legislating that tackle out. But like, like that's a situation where, yeah, if the NFL says you can't do it anymore, then you're going to have to find something to do. And um, like, like, you know, it's it's their league. We're just they're, the players are just playing in it. Yeah, I think it's going to make it very hard on defenders to tackle, um, especially when they're not in a heads up on a guy to tackle them when it's an odd angle that they're going at him with. It's going to be tough to, you know, them to not avoid that kind of it, It's just, just a common tackle in football. This is going to happen. So I I don't know. You know, you're just going to get more penalty flags to the game at that point. You're not going to get guys to stop doing it because it's going to come down to either make the tackle or don't make the tackle and get the penalty flag. Guys are going to still make the tackle. Um, and unlike the the targeting hit that you know has to do with CTA and limiting these head hits and head trauma, the uh, the rolling up thing is just not that necessarily. So I, it's hard to legislate out football, natural football moves from the sport. It really is. And that's one that I think they're going to have a hard time with getting it to stop. 
they'll just end up throwing more penalties for it though. You know, right. that's for sure. But uh, Gar, thank you, man, for all your donations tonight, man. You are awesome. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, Jason Tudor, thank you for the $5 donation. Says the middle ground question here is if you want to pay Gino 30 to 40 million for 10 ish, 10th ish ranked quarterback next year. Great question by Jason there. I love this. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. Can you do better than that? Like you can draft a player, but we're not going to be picking high enough to get the two superstars. Uh, so the best quarterback you might be able to get would be you, you'd have Quinn Ewers, who a lot of people do not like. Like, this is not a blue chipper. Michael right. Penix, not a blue chipper. There's Bo Nix, not a blue chipper at all. I don't I don't like him at all. I don't think he's even good as a pro prospect. Um, uh, you've got, I don't know, Cam Ward can maybe get up there. Riley Leonard, who basically broke his leg a couple weeks ago. Like, we're not going to see him again maybe this year. I don't know. But, like, like so... The idea that you're going to draft a rookie who's going to be better than Geno is like how many rookie seasons in NFL history have been better than the season that Geno had last year? Has there been one ever? Not that Dan I Marino? Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Andrew Luck, maybe. Ben Roethlisberger, maybe. And, Roethlisberger, uh, no, because he had no, he wasn't, he had like 10 attempts a game that year. Yeah. Uh, like, like, I, I guess Cam Newton put up numbers, but I don't think he was that good. Yeah, but speaking. wasn't it wasn't him? Th- it was him running the ball. Then it was more than him throwing it. I would yeah. say it's happened maybe a couple times. Like Andrew Luck is a legit one that it happened with. I think he was good in his first rookie year, but it hasn't yeah. happened but a handful of times at most in NFL history. Yeah, and when it happens, it happens with the generational guys. Like right. Caleb Williams is, but you're not going to get Caleb. We've been over this. Like. uh the, you know, John Schneider, it's not in his religion to trade up for a, the number one overall pick. Especially because this year it'll end up costing two, two first, not just one extra. So it's the trade up in the first round is not going to happen. It hasn't happened throughout John Schneider's time here. Brendan, you bring up a great point about the availability of what quarterbacks they have to pick from. Penix will be off the board. Caleb will be off the board. Drake May will be off the board. Is there still some good quarterbacks to be had there? Yeah. Here's the best part of this, though, is that you're going to get to have both. You don't have to go Gino or the rookie quarterback because you're not going to have a chance at the top first round pick guys. You can take a second, third round guy and have competition, competition at the quarterback position. And if indeed, like many of you are, are asserting out there, uh, another quarterback, anybody else, but Gino will be better than this. Well, that'll be proven out with the camp battle that they are going to have when they duke it out down the line. Then when it, when it comes down to them coming into this, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out at that point. Um, I'm looking at right now, the salaries next year. So the the top end model basically for quarterbacks, your Patrick Mahomes, your Dak Prescott, your Deshaun Watson is $60 million is their cap hit next year. 60 million. Um, Gino's probably going to land somewhere between the 30 and $40 million because he's got to hit the escalators and he's probably not to hit. He's not likely to hit probably all the escalators. So here's the question we have. If I want a top five quarterback, I got to pay $60 million for it. Fair to say that based on the next year's numbers. Okay. I've got Gino at 35 million, so almost just about half the cost of a top five quarterback level play to get a top 10 level quarterback performance. Yeah, I think that the numbers kind of add up that that's that's good value on that deal at that point, in my opinion. What say you? Especially when you then have to find that quarterback. Like, can you get that quarterback? Are you trading for Patrick Mahomes? No. Are you trading for Justin Herbert? No. Are you like, like, you can't get these guys. 
it's very rare one of them ever becomes available. It's usually because of some extreme extenuating circumstances. And it's sometimes it's a case of buyer beware. Like Denver thought they were getting that with Russell Wilson when they traded for him. And they now are thinking like, oh, well, I guess we know why they wanted to trade him now. Dang. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, another good example. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers is kind of an interesting one, I would say, because we'll, we'll never know what he would have been this year. But that was an opportunity like you. Those quarterbacks don't become available. So the only solution would be to draft a rookie and say you're the starter over Gino. And yes, that would be cheaper. It would be a lot cheaper than Gino. Right. But is that are you expecting to go on a Super Bowl run with any rookie quarterback that you can get in this upcoming draft? Like, like, um, you know, my favorite, Joe Milton, he's a project. He probably shouldn't play as a rookie at all. Like, as of right now, he's not even really a good quarterback. He's just got talent. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Or Spencer Rattler or Cam Ward or any of these guys. No, I don't. Yeah, and I think maybe some people look at the Russell Wilson example, but I, to think that you're going to do the same thing you did in hitting Russell Wilson in the second, third round, I'd, I, I'd love it if it happened. But to count on it and say, well, dumb Gino to count on this thing happening where this rookie will come in and replicate what Russell replicated when he had the team ready to go. I don't know. I, I don't know that I, I I see that being the way that that takes off. I like much better the idea of you go draft the second, third round quarterback and you hold on to Gino and let the competition play out. But there is not another guy to go get you. Somebody might say, well, what about Kirk Cousins? He'll be a free agent. Yeah. You think Kirk Cousins is taking a discount? You think yeah. he's not taking less than every last red letter cent and he's going to come off a year where he's going to again throw for 4,800, 4,900 yards. He's not going to get 55, 60 million a year. Of course he is. So, you know, do you want to pay double the, double the price for that? Maybe you'll get the top five level performance because those names I mentioned that are up there on the on the list right now, Brennan, Deshaun Watson, 63 million, Dak, 59 million, Patrick, 57 million, Kyler Murray, 51 million, Matt Stafford, 49 million. Those guys, a lot of those names on there, the teams aren't getting the value for that price when they're paying, you know, I think we're we're fine with Gino. I'm 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 going the long way around to answer this question a bit, but I I do think it is worth it, Jason, for top ten ish because thirty million is a lot, but it's about less than half what the top guys are making, and that's a big difference in in the amount you're paying them. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you can. I, I don't think there's any way you can do better than Gino next year. The year after, now we're talking, like yeah. uh, 2025, you can potentially do better than Gino potentially. Yeah. Yeah. But 2024, I don't see any way. That's where I like this setup to where you try for the second, third round pick. You get to make a determination between that and Gino. You get to really learn who Gino is and whether he is the guy or isn't the guy. You had more time to kind of figure that out, especially with a healthy offensive line. And then if it's not like you say, now you're at a point where, okay, we can make the aggro trade of three first round picks and go get that quarterback that's the bubble wall or go make the major trade for the QB that a team doesn't want to necessarily spend the money on. And you can take that route if that's the other viable approach at that point but we're not rushed to make the decision then we can take our time with this one in my opinion a little bit to let it play out yeah uh thank you though jason appreciate that donation man both your donos tonight you're awesome uh y2k with a two dollar dono bradford got solid solid offensive grades thoughts on his play uh he i mean there are bumps and bumps in his play, but I've, I'm very impressed. This is far beyond what I thought he was going to be if he had to play as a rookie. 
Agreed. Love the upside and the physicality and the, the movement ability he showed at LSU, but he was a project. He was raw, so raw coming out. And it was that he was so physically tantalizing that that had you just encouraged, but you went, man, it's going to take him a long time to get there. I think Dickerson, some of the best work he's done here on this team is representative in Bradford's play on the field this year so far and getting such quick returns for a kid who was so raw. Um, a 90 grade as a run blocker in this game, that's a phenomenal score from PFF to hand out. They don't give that away like Tic Tacs. So him pulling off that grade was fantastic. And he actually held up relatively decent in pass protection in this game too, when you consider how bad uh, uh, Haynes was. I will say it's probably a little bit of a different um, draw, right? Having one BJ Hill versus one guy having to deal with DJ Reader on that interior of that line, you yeah. know, like one, one's going to be a bit of a tougher pull for you probably to have to deal with, but uh, he did good and he's improving and coming along. Great. Highest rated offensive player in this game. Am I right on that? I think he was. Yeah, I think he was. So uh, Brad Bradford getting it done and slowly, but surely I know it doesn't seem like it with all these guys beating up, but slowly, but surely we might be having our offensive line in the futures starting to kind of develop before our eyes. Got the tackles in place. Bradford starting to settle in there. Maybe Olawatimi can eventually take, not Brown, take kind of full control of the center situation. Then it just becomes about the left guard at that point, long-term. Right. But uh, love what I'm seeing from Bradford. And he certainly looks ever emerging the answer at right guard into the future for us. Y2K question, yeah. Brennan. Has Bradford got to start over Haynes? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Uh, Haynes was grading out extremely well on the right side before this game. Okay. I think he just got to put him over there. I don't know how this happened, by the way. It doesn't make any sense to me how we completely forgot how to play on the left side, but now is really good on the right side. I think he was in. I think he's injured. I think he's still not anywhere yeah. near 100% health. Yeah. If he's injured, then yeah, put Bradford in. Let it. Let him. Let him eat. But um, mm. if he's healthy. I'm giving it to Haynes. Fair enough. Fair enough. But certainly loving what we're seeing from Bradford. That's for sure. Um, Matthias Arnett, thank you for the $2 donation, Matthias. And it looked like it posted a double dip dono for you of the same posting. So mm -hmm. sorry about that. But thank you for the double dip donation nonetheless. Brendan, what's the difference? What's the defense's ceiling and floor this year? I mean... I think the floor is really, really low because the floor is like, oh, we go back to the old soft cover three zone stuff and then mm -hmm. it would be bad. Yeah. Like we've seen how bad it can be. Uh, I think the ceiling is seventh or eighth. I love that. I love that number too. You didn't go to top five. You kind of stayed up at, outside the top top five. I love that. Yeah. Uh I, I don't. I, I don't think we're going to be better than the Niners. I don't think we're going to be better than the Jets. Jets are playing their hearts out. Browns. Trying to win games after losing Browns, yeah. Browns are doing things that should be impossible. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, the Cowboys defense could uh, correct itself a little bit. I, I don't think they're going to be elite this year, but they could be really, really good. Um, we'll, we'll see how the Bills respond to losing all those players. I, I don't think they're going to respond that well, but you never know. Yeah, agreed. I agreed. Bills could be a team in two that goes to, like, pilfer some of the Bronco players. <laughs> And finding some help there. I um I do say I'm with Brendan Mathias on this one. I don't think you get to top five. I think seventh, eighth is probably about as high as you can get defensively for this team in the way that they're they're put together. Um, and then I do think the floor is also really low here because of the fact we've seen this team slide into those like we saw in the Rams game. I mean, if they've they showed it in that game on an offense that's not, you know, it's still Stafford's been playing really well this year and the receivers are doing their job, but um I, I still do say you could slide back into that with a couple of injuries very quickly 
in, in that level of play. Um, so it's, it's relying on staying healthy to find that top end, but that's probably what you say about either side of the ball, you know, be it our offensive line or be it our secondary, you know, you, you're without one or you're beating up on one and they're not going to perform well. You got them out there. They're going to be, you know, doing their job and, and handling business. So it's a wide variance, Matthias. Normally we'd be a little bit closer on this one, but we've seen them at their worst and now we've seen them at their best and it's two different ends of the scale. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, but at least we're on the right end of the scale right now. My thighs, so we're we're rounding into the right direction. Thank you, brother. Sorry, go ahead. No, nothing, nothing. Um, Garth Knight, another ten dollar donation. My goodness, Garth, you are very kind, brother. Appreciate you so very much. Says Brando. I was talking to a Raider fan last evening who wants Penix Jr. Had no concerns with the reverse spin. He says the reverse spin is better, but he's a Raider fan. Nice guy though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did, did you see the uh did you see the updated heisman odds no is he is he leading the way he's beating the field Jeez, he's minus 145 second <clears> place <throat> is jj mccarthy with plus 1000 well it's caleb certainly had a horrible tough not horrible but had himself a rough game that certainly is gonna you're not gonna win a heisman with a game like that on your resume on a season so you know, the competition, not. it hasn't got as tough there uh, that he's going up against, I think, coming into this week. But I'm glad to hear it, man. That was a one of my f- favorite Husky games to watch in my life, to be honest with you. And I I, I just – it's to have two top 10 teams going at it, then Oregon being at their best. You know, we played Oregon at times where they've been obviously better than us where we were, and then they got the better of us. And it was like, well, they just – here's one where you feel like for the first time in a while you got two both even keel, both strong. And it went back and forth. It was like as advertised. It was everything that you'd want, including a, you know, game-winning touchdown thing. It's just like magnificent, magnificent game. And uh, Penix Absolutely. was brilliant. Must have been fun yeah. to play, play on your side of it, man. Oh, yeah, it was very fun. But, uh, you know, I think the concerns about Penix as a first-round pick, there's not much he can do to dispel them. He's injury-prone. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it is what it is. He's old. It is what it is. And he's got probably the best receivers in college football other than Ohio State. It is what it is. Yeah. So I don't know if he's ever going to be able to overcome that in my view of him. Like, I like him, but I do see him as a second-round guy right now. I, I, I don't know if I can get moved off that. I think because of those two, the, the two things you raised at the forefront of this, right, that aren't necessarily have to do with him on the field, the injuries and the age. I mean, that the injuries are not understated. It's multiple ACL tears. It's AC joints in the shoulders. It's he's not been hit at all this year, the last couple of years by the designs of their offense and Oregon started bashing him. And I, I was I'm glad to hear you. It was cramps. I was wondering about that. I was going to bring that up to you. I was like, okay, well now he's got the first game. He starts taking hits and there at the end, he's like doubling over and, and looking like he's in the greatest of pain, but it turns out that those are cramps. So that's not as, I guess, worrisome, but that was one thing I was going to watch for. Cause he just, what he'd been hit like three times or something yeah. prior to that, uh, you know, leading up to that point. So I'm in the same place you are a little bit with it. I love his talent, but the the age and the injury thing are something you have to factor in in these quarterbacks. I did so with Bryce Young and Matt Corral in recent years, and I'd have to do the same thing with Penix Jr. You know, it's it, it it's a part of the process that factors in. You can't just ignore it and go, well, I know I think he's over the hump now, you know, because you have like a gut instinct he's over the injury hump. Like, yeah, it's it's likely to kind of follow him in the pros, and he's not likely to stay as clean as he has in college when he goes to the pros. Yeah, it would be one heck of an offensive line system that allowed him to not get touched the way he doesn't get touched in Washington. Yeah, agreed. But he spins a great ball, and he threw some pretty passes last week, some absolute dimes across the board. 
Um, and he did some great things just as progression reads, man, looking off safeties, you know, just, uh, he showed you kind of the full arsenal this past week. He's a real fun player. I, I wish I could get to the first round place of it, but I can't get past the injury, 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 uh, age thing. It's, I think right. it's part that's important here. Thank you though, Gar. Thank you for that $10 donation. And, uh, be funny. If, boy, I don't know if I'd be happy for Penix if he ended up on the Raiders, man, that, that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be a place for success for him. You know what I mean? Eh, he's got Devontae Adams for will at least a couple minutes until he asks for a trade. Willie, I was gonna say Willie because <laughs> I, don't, I don't think Devontae's is staying there another year. I think he's after that last hit he took this last week. He's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Appreciate you though, Garth, for all your donos, man, including that big ten dollar drop. Uh, Sim Ranjit, thank you for the seven dollar donation. Says hi, love your work, guys. Thank you so much, Sim. A question. Is linebacker Devin Bush a potential trade candidate since he was a healthy scratch for week six? And happy B day to Adams. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, Jamal. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't think Devin Bush has any real value. And I I I want to keep the depth. Like if he gets hurt, I mean, I'm sorry, if one of the guys in front of him gets hurt and you have Bush traded away then I think the next man up would be Radigan, right? That, that doesn't right. sound good. No, it doesn't. And let's not forget, we do have a Bobby Wagner that's 34, 35 years of age here that he's doing great. But, you know, is he going to hold up the whole year? We got to hopefully so. We'll have to see. I, I think some of this too is that you have Radigan active because Radigan's going to be a special teams guy. I don't know if Devin Bush's game at this point is much that that's who he is, you know? So the team probably is thinking, you know, we'll – if we have that Bush active, that's one less special teams guy versus Radigan being active. And I think Radigan's like, doesn't have any more practice squad things or something like that. I forget, I forget how it works with that. He's, or he's going to be on the active roster at the whole rest of the year on the roster. So it's some of this is a little bit weird with that. I thought too, Bush was still getting over like an injury thing that he had been working through. I, I yeah. could, be, could be wrong on that. I don't know if he's a hundred percent health healthy with some. Yeah. I, and I still like him. I still think he's a pretty decent player that we may end up needing at some point this year. I think he's just inactive because we feel confident in what we have. And maybe we think Radigan's better for special teams, I guess. That's my thinking on it. I, I It's hard to say otherwise because he's played well for us when he's been in there, Sim. I mean, when they've asked him to work out there, he's gotten the job done, including back into preseason. So I like keeping him here myself, though, too. I would want to trade him because I like having the built-in depth. It's already something we've called upon in other positions and to have that have him as a readily available guy versus Radigan. That's a huge drop. I mean, that's a monstrous dip from one guy to the other. You got a former first round talent to a former undrafted rookie free agent. I think so. That's, that's, that's a bit of a dip as far as the ability goes. Radigan was not good in preseason either. Let's, we yeah, got to acknowledge true. that. Bush he, was, by the way. Bush was. Bush was. Radigan was not. But uh, thank you, Sim. Appreciate the love, man. Love right back out to you. And uh, thank you for that donation, man. Very kind of you. Phoebe more Seahawks says, I see more and more ridiculous flags. Any thoughts? Hmm. There have been some bad ones. No doubt about it. My feeling is that in general, the NFL has gotten over legislative through the years. They keep adding more flags, more flags and more flags. And it just, it's, it does upset the flow of the game to me at times. Um, and sometimes it seems arbitrary and subjective in the way they call these flags where it doesn't seem like everybody's held to the same standard or the each officiating crew is operating off of the same standard. It's like, um, it's like almost like an umpire with his own strike zone. Everybody's got their own little particular way they want to call it to their own little way. It makes it just hard to understand what is a flag, what isn't. 
And again, too much. There's too many of them to me. Let the players play. It's a it's a physical sport. Let them play. Yeah. You know? I mean, we keep watching though, so I don't know if the NFL feels any obligation to uh, change anything. Is the thing. Are there any other sports that are competing with them, man? They're high on the hog right now, and they're only getting more popular. So to your point on that, yeah, they probably don't feel any need to do anything different how they're doing it. But it's annoying, Phoebe. It's definitely annoying. And we're the most penalized team in the sport right now, so we get the majority of it. So you know, Are we? Are we actually leading the league? I thought we were, yeah. Wow. Per per game, remember, we don't don't lead in total penalties, but we had the early buy. So if you uh, slotted out by penalties per game, I think that we are in number one. Number one, number one, Brennan. All right. Well, I mean, the uh, old Ravens defenses with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed were always number one in penalties, and they got a long okay. So I, I've long not worried too much about it. this. Is what you've had with Carroll throughout his time here. So, number one, to expect it to change, um, probably not happening. If it happened, happened in 10 years. Number two, it didn't prevent you from winning the Super Bowl. So, I'm not going to get super up in arms with the our high prevalence of penalties, but I will go with the subjective nature of the penalties in the sport and how many are called because it gets a little redonkulous sometimes brendan a little much like you can't enjoy you can't celebrate a play because you always got to wait to like look for the yellow flag like that's when you know there's too many flags being thrown out you know like yeah okay yes yes okay we got it uh y2k thank you for the five dollar donation says fourth and goal from the super bowl on the line marshawn lynch runs wide slot corner has to make the tackle who do you want making that tackle spoon or winfield senior Jeez. Um, Spoon might get a penalty, so I'd go Winfield Senior, because Winfield Senior is going to get that love from the officials because he's a veteran, and Spoon's just a rookie. I love Brennan's logic on this one, man. <laughs> I was I was about to slice down the middle and say I can't make a call between those two, but I'll go with the Senior on it. Uh, senior in his prime, and uh, yeah, he'd probably get that little bit of the doubt there against Marshawn. I don't think uh, either of them are taking Marshawn down open field and with him with a head of steam in front of him, I think that they're just giving up both too much weight at that point, but no denying yeah. he's a great tackler. Phenomenal. Oh tackler. yeah, absolutely. Um, Do me a favor real quick. Just talk real quick. If you could, then thank you. Y2K on that uh, $5 donation. I'll, I'll go with senior as well with Brendan. Um, appreciate you on, on those donos. Do me a favor, answer this one here with two, eight, three real quick. I'll be right right back all right brother give me just two seconds all right uh 283 thank you for the dollar 99 evan brown has had a really solid year so far yes yeah he has and remember he's played part of this season out of position he's bumped over to left guard more than once so he's been over there for a little bit that's not his position he is a center he is a center all the way through so i'm i'm actually i personally don't think that evan brown can be the long-term center in seattle because we don't have the money and we already have a young center that we're very excited about. But it is starting to become a little bit interesting here, where if we get to the end of the season and Evan Brown continues to look really solid, and we haven't seen hardly anything from Oluwatimi because he's only played in the one game, then it's going to be an interesting decision, right? You've got a really good thing going on offense at that point in all likelihood. Do you want to mess it up by taking it apart a little bit? and letting your starting center go. But with the way he's playing, I do kind of feel like Evan Brown could probably get a multi-year deal worth a non-trivial amount of money. So this is going to be kind of interesting to see how this goes if Evan Brown stays on the field and stays playing at this relatively strong level. Yeah, thank you, uh, 283, for the two-hour donation. I appreciate you, Evan, uh, Brent, for that. Um, 
I, I agree with as well. I, I do still think Olotimi is the guy that would be great to have him slide in in the future because you get a lot of nice load balance going on there where, you know, the, the line is super cheap at that point. You're able to then maybe take some of those resources and like, for instance, go get a really great left guard or whatnot um, that you slide in and pass half and draft a guy. But I can't deny Evan has played the position at its best since Justin Britt and that one year that he had before he got the contract. Um, I think he's been equally pretty solid, both as a run blocker and a pass protector. Kind of surprised to see him hold up as a pass protector as well as a center because that was the one place he wasn't as strong on when he was with Detroit in that realm, but he was more of a run blocker for them. But he's been good overall. I think he's been the guy doing the line calls down there and steadying the ship for the most part. Um, you've asked him to play guard at times, so he gives you some positional versatility, flexibility there. you got to love that part about him too. So, um, yeah, I think solid is a good way to put it to a three. And if he keeps playing this way, somebody's probably like Brendan said, going to give him a contract. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine him settling for one year, two and a quarter million next off season. No, no. And honestly, is. I was really surprised he settled for that last off season. Me too. Especially with how important offensive linemen are. I mean, they're hard to find and there's teams tend to hold on to the ones they got. And it's, I mean, two, not three, not 4 million, you know, one year four. I mean, like, Austin Blythe got a $4 million deal sitting on his butt all year with the Chiefs. He didn't even play. He got beat out by Creed Humphrey, and he got right. – So uh, that was a great – we had a lot of good value signings this offseason. Me and you were kind of lamenting, man, all these one-year deal. But, man, Schneider, it, it's not going to stop him into the future, is it? Because he actually had success. Mario Edwards Jr., Jaron Reed, Evan Brown. He's got some success this year, unlike in recent years, on some of those value signings. So more of it into the future. Brendan, all we're doing is looking at third-wave free agents next year. No, first, only third waves, man. That's all we're yeah. looking at. I mean, the, I mean, that's real. That's hundred percent real. We don't have the money for the first wave guys. I don't think I've looked at the books. It's going to be hard. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably true. And I don't have a big problem with that. No. There's not really a heck of a lot in free agency that I'm going to want this year. I think. Nor, nor is your team really going to need free the big free agent additions with how you built it. If the young guys continue to take the steps along, there's going to be very few holes you have to fill. You just need the development to continue to further along with the youngsters. Right. But uh, thank you, 2A3. Appreciate you for that donation. John M429, thank you for the fiver. Says, Brandon, thank you for the Christopher Walken hype video. I showed my mom because she loves Walken and she thought it was actually him. Killed it. Ha ha. <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate that, John. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if that video was going to, uh, that was a little bit of a risk one there, Brendan. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. The, this one could definitely end up in a blowback situation, uh, but I, uh, I got people to know post it up. So um, I'm glad you liked it. I, I'll do some more of those definitely into the future uh, since it does seem to, be, seem to be one that people really resonated with. Um, and I had fun putting it together. So yeah, you know, appreciate it. Always like, always like doing a good walking, you know, don't worry, Seahawks fans. We're going to bounce back this week. No problem. Promise you. What's your favorite movie with Christopher Walken in it? Uh, that would be Pulp Fiction. Yeah, me too. The Swatch was daddy carried the Swatch in his ass five long years. And I took it, carried it in my ass two years. <laughs> it's a great scene. Now, little man, I give it to you. I love I, I love that movie. It's one of my all time faves, though. Probably took him half an hour to shoot his scenes in that movie, and oh yeah, one of the most memorable parts. One of the most memorable parts, and he's got also my favorite pure movie scene of all time. This I think my my favorite scene of all time because I think it encapsulates all the things I love most about movies is the scene between him and Dennis Hopper in True Romance. 
you know, where he's doing the, where it's the scene where he's trying to get him to give up his son, Hopper, and Hopper knows he's going to be dead. And he tells the story to walk in about his ancestry while also needling him. And both of them are acting it perfectly. And it's Tarantino's script. And it's um, not Ridley Scott, Tony Scott, his brother filming it. Gandolfini's in the scene, you know, in the back. It's like, it's everything's just like, it's a, a great scene. Um, but yeah, love me some walking, man. Love me some walking. Thank you, though, John. More to come on that for sure, brother. More to come on that for sure. Garth Knight with another $5 donation. Says, if Penix is picked by the Raiders in the first round, I'll have Marquis Tui Asasopo flashbacks. Yeah, I didn't, was he, where was Marquis? Dra he was, he, he was a Raider, I remember, but I don't know if they drafted him. Yeah, I, I think he might have been the un, undrafted. He was a hell of a Husky quarterback. Doesn't get remembered yeah. enough. He had one game against Stanford with 300 passing yards and 200 yards rushing in the one game. Yeah, there were some really fun Huskies quarterbacks during that era. There was a six killer. Mm -hmm. There was Cody Pickett. Pickett, yep. Yeah, there yep. was, uh, of course, Brock Heward. That was the first one for me. That was my first Huskies quarterback. Brock was a good um, one. Yeah, and um, then it was Isaiah stand back, and things were suddenly a lot less fun. Yeah, they they struggled for a while to get back to the. Then got back around. Jake Locker kind of was in for a while and did his thing a little bit there. But we had a lineage going for a while where it was Mark Brunell and then Billy Joe Hobart, and um, you were you were kind of starting to roll through pretty well with some some guy pro yeah. level guy. My uncle sold a car to Billy Joe Hobart. Was that the car that Hobart got paid for? They got us into I, sanctions. I, I have no idea. Is that on your uncle? Uh, Is that on? Did he bring the Husky program down? Did he bring the freaking national champion it, Husky team down with that loan? I don't know, but my uncle ran a car dealership in that area back during that time. And uh, yeah, sold a car to Billy Joe Hobart. I don't know if it was the car, but it was a car. So when he got a 50, like 50, 50 G ride, he got some deal on or something. I think that was, yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, remember the Irishman, mm -hmm. uh, at the end he, he gets uh, sent to prison because of his car, like, right. because they can't get him for anything else. So they get him on the car that he got as a gift. Oh, it was, it was so obvious to me that the pack 10 was coming after us. Cause we were just so good. It was a way to knock us down the rung at that point. Like we're becoming too dominant. It's like they got Dane looker for a lunch. Like that was included in it. Like you got a free lunch at one point that like then, and this is why you'll be no longer able to go to a bowl game for two years. Oh, thank you. Such trash. Uh, but thank you, uh, Garth. And uh, yeah, Penix is, uh, I'll definitely have some flashbacks with Marquez. I, I, I'm not going to love him going to the Raiders. If he went to the Raiders, there's some destinations that'd be ideal for Penix. It's got to go to a place with an offensive line. If he's going to a spot where it's spotty across the board on that line, it's just it's going to set him up for failure more as much as for any quarterback out there, both on the injury front and you know just not allowing him to play the position where he's at his best when he's kept. I mean, it's it's true with every quarterback and keep keep keeping him clean, but him especially, I think, with you let him get beat up and he'll get beat up really fast. So you gotta you gotta build that into your evaluation when looking at drafting him. Uh, but thank you, Garth, again, for all of your donations tonight. I really do appreciate that so very much. Uh, Brennan, we've kind of through the donations, just about, you know, kind of gotten through most of this offensive performance through here right. or there, be it talk by Walker or or the play calling or um, anything else. Is is there some places we haven't maybe covered on this offense that you want to maybe talk about that was anything else that you think is uh, be a part of the problems or maybe some of the encouraging things um, as we go forward here? Um, I don't want to get away from the fact that 
through the problems that he had, which are obvious, Gino did make some really good throws in that game. Uh, there were a couple people on uh, Twitter earlier today who were posting clips of some of the really nice throws he made. And, you know, they were basically saying, and I think this is true, people forgot about these good plays that he made because in the red zone, things just didn't go well. And you got to remember that he's still capable of doing this stuff. You look at these plays and you wonder how such a high percentage of Seahawks fans actually want this guy benched this week. And it, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss that just because we didn't win and Gino ultimately didn't get it done. Um, Lockett played good. I, I guess we can shout him out. Lockett made some nice plays in that game. He did. Yeah. 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 Um, as much as, as it was maybe a little annoying how it came about, I do think that JSN had a impressive game and it does kind of indicate towards what we are going to be able to get down the line from him. So Agreed. that's good. Uh, I can't really think of too much else. Yeah. I, I just, just to piggyback on your comments with Gino, you know, it's, it, this is where we get to that nuanced place where people go trash, bad, not the quarterback, not the guy of the future. And it's like, man, when you get a guy who has backup, Offensive line across the board, no running game to speak of. Throws for 333 yards, and you go, yeah, that's trash. Go, boy, that's uh, that's 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 pretty extreme. And there were some throws in there, including two different nine routes, both to DK and Tyler, that he hit in this game. Um, there's the Tyler Lockett play that he hit down at the end that you talk about Lockett, where Lockett's got that deep in-cutting route, and he's got to step up and put that ball right on the line, right on the spot, and he puts it right on the money there for Lockett. Part of what gave you the position to be even down in the red zone to, to have that opportunity to, to bang it in. But uh, there were those some bad plays from Gino, and, I, and I'm going to go into this tomorrow on my show a little bit of both the good and the bad. There was a lot of good in there, too, with it. It wasn't just simply he completely lost himself and became you know a shell throughout the course of this game. It was just things got tough down by the goal red zone, and there's a lot of reasons for those red zone struggles, not just Gino. Lack of running, lack of creativity from Waldron, lack of pass protection. It all kind of contributed to it going sideways down there. It wasn't just one thing or the other, a chicken or the egg. It was all of it and the hen house and the farmer's heart, <laughs> you know. Uh, Y2K, thank you for another $5 donation. It says, trade love to a winning team who needs a slot corner swing tackle, someone who would be below but not well below average uh, average league starter. Sideways trade uh, for, a, or for a swing tackle. I don't think anybody you can get in a trade is going to be significantly better than Kerhan. As much as everybody's slamming Kerhan now with good reason, uh, I really don't think that uh, I, I don't think he's that much worse than somebody you could trade for. The guys who are significantly better than Kerhan are not going to be part are not going to be available in a trade. I'd agree that a uh, Y2K, I just don't think that the, the what Snyder spoke to this too as well, is that teams that have offensive line depth in this league are not giving it up. They're holding on to it. And uh, to the point where he was talking about the cut cut down date that there was, he was seeing teams holding extra tackles and guards on their roster to just kind of stockpile them. Um, you're just not going to get your hands on those guys if they've got any value to them. As well as with, in, in regards to Julian Love, even though he's kind of a man without, um, uh, without an active way to get onto the field a lot right now with Jamal back in, in the force and going. We also know that Jamal Adams has a pretty 
deep injury history here. And I don't think that we can just count on, well, Jamal will be fine now for the rest of the year. So we can move, you know, part of love being here, him starting the games to begin this season is insurance for Jamal. If he goes out that you don't become non-functional at the strong safety position. So um, I think there's just a little bit more added value to him here at the moment than there would be in trade. Cause you wouldn't be able to get it. I don't think a lot back. Like Brendan said in the trade here, Y2K, I think the options would be very limited and you might just end up saying at the end of the day, well, it's the same as Curhan, all things being equal. Right. How it plays. Garth Knight, uh, thank you for, and why'd you get, thank you for that donation. I appreciate you for the double dip tonight. Uh, Garth, thank you for another fiver as well, brother. It says, if Brendan can figure out what vehicle his uncle sold to Billy Joe Hobart, how much in super chats on his channel would it take for this revelation? <laughs> uh, well, I'm never going to be able to find out now. I'll, I'll say that. That's not something I'm going to be able to ever find out. It's going to be like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. It's a mystery. The magic bullet. Let's also face it here, Garth. I mean, Brendan, Brendan's a husky, husky guy here. You know, he can't be having someone in his family having it having served as one of the the point men for the uh the downfall of the husky program. That'd be like finding out he's got like a, a KKK member or something in his, yeah. <laughs> in his not good. Not, not good. good. Not good. Family failing him on this one. So, uh, you know, you just, you leave that rock unturned, you know, that's just a, that's a mystery left, left for uh, time and space and all that other good stuff out there on there. Appreciate you though, tonight, man, Garth, for all your donations, brother. And as well, your, uh, your great sense of humor, brother. And uh, Billy Joe, Billy Joe, the man, the man that uh, can't blame Billy Joe. Again, I think every program was doing it. They just kind of targeted us a bit and decided we were the, we were the bad guys. I guess we're the bad guys. University of Washington, that's up here. We're doing it bad with all of our five stars coming from in-state and, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm bitter about that, Brendan. I was so mad. It pushed Don James out. He was such a, he's such a great coach. And like that pushed him out. That made him retire. And it was like, it was BS. You know, all these programs, it's just that USC sucked and all the other programs in the Pac-12 were mad because we were, we were riding high and they weren't. You know, Oregon wasn't a good program at that time or, or nobody was, right? So it was like, well, let's let's knock him down a peg. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a conspiracy theorist on a little bit. I'm just, yeah. I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Well, uh, Seahawks fans, uh, first off, Brennan, I want to thank you tonight again. We almost went three hours here in tonight. Thank you for coming on in here tonight to the Hawks Nest to chop up what is not always an easy thing to chop up, that being a loss, a loss that has a lot of folks in feelings and a little bit of bitterness out there and, and whatnot. So, Thanks for coming in here to tonight to uh, to kind of go through all the ins and the outs on this one, as I know it's not always easy to do with these kind of games. Thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, if you guys haven't already, do me a favor. Hit that like button for me here with Brendan and, and me in the chat here. It helps this video get pushed out to other channels and searches on the algorithm. If you haven't already, please do get over to Seahawks. Brendan Nelson and search that up on YouTube and you'll be able to find him pop right up for you there. Get subscribed over to his channel as we do these shows multiple times a week. We'll be back. I'll be broadcasting on my side, but we'll be back over onto his side as the source point here on Thursday as we are going to preview a Cardinal matchup, which I think we can firmly say at this, Brendan, is the one nice thing that we can say about this game that we know with 100% certainty. Don't think the Hawks are going to be overlooking this Cardinal team coming into this matchup. I think we're going to be taking a mighty serious. I would say so. So uh, we will be back at eight o'clock on Thursday to do that stream here on his channel with BNB show as it does continue to roll along this year. Please do get subscribed on both channels if you're not already. Thank you, Brendan, for coming in here and getting this all chopped up. Had a great time with you as ever on this. And uh, we feel really good about this team, man. Let's give them a little bit of positivity to finish it off. Give me some of your final thoughts 
I just want to put this in the frame. I know that there's people that get to this place of it's an emotional sport and it drives you to certain conclusions really fast sometimes, especially after tough losses. The only thing I ask for in this team this year from my fellow Seahawks faithful, and you don't have to give it, but I just ask it is just a bit of patience with the team overall. It's the third youngest team in football. It's year two of a rebuild. If we really want to taste this down to the brass tacks and the team is looking like it's on the right path overall. Is it perfect? No. Is there things to correct? Yeah, you better believe it. But I take away that being my, the overall arching theme of this season so far and what I'm seeing so far. How about yourself, Brandon? I think that's the right way to look at things. Um, most of us did not consider this team to be a Super Bowl contender in the offseason. And honestly, I think you can make a better argument that they are now than you could have before the season started. I'm not saying they're there yet. And I'm not saying it doesn't suck to lose a game like that the way we did on Sunday. But I can see things start to twist into shape here more than I could have said before the season started. I'm seeing the very same thing. We're not trying to give you guys, hopefully in three hours of a show, we've been able to flesh out these two viewpoints that are very similarly aligned in a way that is tangibly makes sense, rationally makes sense, logically makes sense. And we're trying to build that case to you guys. And, and this is the where we fit and where we stand and where we feel on this. We're not here to give you empty. We don't do that here. We're not doing pom-pom waving. We're not giving you empty praise of the team when it's not deserved. We feel really good about where this team's going. So, you know, I know we got many of our fellow Seahawks faithful out there, Brendan. They're suffering a little bit now. They're, they're questioning their faith a little bit. We're not. And we're going to push you forward onto this to get you back your faith, too. This team's about to do some really good things this year. I don't know if they're going to get to contention. I don't know if they're going to get to a Super Bowl. But I know that they're going to be a really good football team. And our best days are yet ahead this upcoming season. So do not ever forget even after a tough loss like this, even one that might have you up in your feelings, do not ever forget. Keep it at the forefront of your mind. The team's about to do some magical things, so climb back aboard this bandwagon. Don't jump off. It's too early. It's too early. So don't you ever forget. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.